0: Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey,
1: it's Gonzano I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go.
2: Initialize sequence.
3: Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Bald Baldface Truth.
1: I wasn't sure what Tom Brady was going to be. When he left the field and all that talk about him entering the broadcast booth and would he end up on a Fox broadcast and would he be good as an analyst and you know just because you're good as a player doesn't mean you're going to be great as an analyst Uh, otherwise Bo Jackson would have been the best uh, hybrid sports analyst on planet earth able to talk some football able to talk some basketball at an all-star level maybe a hall of fame level but Tom Brady is starting to talk more have you noticed this He uh, made an appearance this week on the Stephen A. Smith show. I've heard him interviewed on other shows more recently, and it feels to me like he's got some coaching, and people are encouraging him to be more opinionated, or maybe he's just found his voice. But less than a year removed from his playing career, Tom Brady, not impressed with the play of the NFL. Says it's uh, just so-so. Brady joining uh, Stephen A. Smith. Here's what he had to say. I
4: think there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL. Yeah. I don't see the excellence that I saw in the past. Why not? And ho- Why not? I think the coaching isn't as, as good as it was. I don't think the development of young players is as good as it was. The rules have allowed a lot of bad habits to get into the actual performance of the game. Mm-hmm. So I just think the product, in my opinion, is less than what it's been, I think. I look at a lot of players like Ray Lewis and Rodney Harrison and Ronnie Lott and guys that impacted the game in, in a certain way, and every hit they would have made would have been a penalty. Mm. You hear coaches complaining about their own player being tackled and not necessarily, why don't they talk to their player about how to protect himself? We used to work on the fundamentals of those things all the time. Now they're trying to be regulated all the time. Offensive players need to protect themselves. It's not up to a defensive player to protect the offensive player. A defensive player needs to protect himself. I didn't throw the ball to certain areas because I was afraid players were going to get knocked out.
1: Tom Brady talking on the Stephen A. Smith Show. Uh, Look, I think there's some truth in what he's saying. I do see a lot of parody. I don't see greatness in the way that we used to see greatness in the NFL. Even last night on Monday Night Football, the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champions, are playing the Philadelphia Eagles, the runners-up, and uh, defending NFC champions in a game that, uh, you know, was less than perfect on both sides of the ball, both teams. Kansas City couldn't catch a cold. Uh, Patrick Moams had five players drop passes, and any one of those passes gets caught, and maybe things are different for the Chiefs. Meanwhile, the Eagles, they were good and opportunistic, but they weren't dominant in in a relatively low-scoring game by NFL standards. And point totals in the NFL are down this season. Scoring's down. Uh, You have uh, a lot of concerns about player safety. Saw a penalty last night called on the Eagles for... Roughing the passer that, eh, you know, in the 1980s, 1990s, people would have been like, what? What are you doing there?" Like, is Tom Brady right? Is there mediocrity in the NFL? 503-417-7575. I'll go further. Do you see mediocrity in general in the NBA? Do you see it in Major League Baseball? Do you see it in college football? Is the pursuit of parity... And rule changes that are aimed at player safety and speeding up games, has it caused the sports landscape to lose a little luster? Uh, Dynasties now, you you win two in a row or you appear in three Super Bowls in four years and people say, ah, it's a dynasty. Look at them go. Um, What is a dynasty anymore? The Buffalo Bills, they rise and they fall. The New York Jets mostly just fall. But is Tom Brady right? Is there a lot of mediocrity out there and if so, what does it have to do with? And this college football season, I have to be honest with you. The Pac-12 is having a great season. There's no arguing that Oregon is playing great football, maybe the best football in the country. There's no debating Washington is undefeated. They are, they know how to win. Michael Penix Jr. is great. Bo Nix is great. Caleb Williams is great. USC's got problems here and there, but they're entertaining. Colorado gave us entertainment for a month of the season, at least to start the year. Big TV audiences, 7 million, 8 million, a lot of hype, a lot of hysteria, a lot of headlines. Still, it wasn't boring. It wasn't mediocre for four weeks. And I look around now at college football, and I kind of wonder if what we're seeing at the top of college football, a Georgia team that looks really good, but not as dominant as it has looked in the past, you're looking at a Florida State team that's undefeated, but gosh, they look really beatable. Washington's undefeated, but man, that's not an undefeated like Alabama team in the heyday of Nick Saban's teams. Um, tell me what you see across college football. Is there a mediocrity? And has the transfer portal rule changes, NIL, has it become an equalizer to the point where like the great teams are no longer as dominant as they once were, and is that good or bad? And in the NFL, what is Brady talking about? Is it just an old player whose time has passed, who's looking back going, they don't do it like we used to in our heyday? Or is there some truth to what Tom Brady is saying about the NFL? I Actually, I want to hear from you. 503-417-7575. Today's show, we've got Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach. He'll be with us you talk about the Civil War football game? I'm going to ask him about some of the reports and rumors about his name surfacing for jobs, see if what he'll say on that front. Uh, tomorrow's show, Dan Lanning, University of Oregon coach. Uh, I'm, I'm here to tell you, maybe to remind you, maybe you don't need a reminder, that we're always going to get the best and the biggest guests on this show. It doesn't matter. We're not home of the Beavers. We're not home of the Ducks. We're home of the truth. We're just going to get the best guests, and I think we'll be the only radio show in in the land that will have both coaches on the show during game week of the Civil War. I'm proud of that, and uh, I'm excited to talk to both of those coaches about the game coming up. I don't know what to do with the Pac-12 games this weekend. All these games are, uh, you know, you got a bunch of double-digit spreads on these games You know, Cal and UCLA minus nine and a half. UCLA's nine and a half point favorite on that game. Not quite sure what to do with that game yet. Uh, Stanford is a 25 and a half point underdog on the Pac-12 network playing Notre Dame. The Pac-12 network and Notre Dame, can I just stop for a second and tell the Irish fans who are texting me and messaging me and asking me how do I get the Pac-12 network's I can tell you this, go get Sling, go ask your 12-year-old to boot it up through the Xbox. I, you know, That's going to be a your problem thing because moving forward on the Pac-12 network, we all don't have to deal with that anymore. Maybe uh, Larry Scott's parting gift to the Irish, I don't know. The Washington-Washington State Apple Cup game, Washington's a 16.5-point favorite. See the trend here? Arizona State is a 10.5-point underdog to Arizona at home. You get the trend, double-digit dogs in these rivalry games. Uh, Utah is a 21.5-point favorite against Colorado. And uh, certainly, for those of you interested in the Civil War football game, Oregon is a 13.5-point home favorite right now against the Beavers. We'll talk about those games. We'll get the guests today and tomorrow in particular. I want to ask you two a little bit about your turkey, how you're prepping the turkey. Have you started prepping the turkey? Have you purchased the turkey? I hope you thought about turkey because turkey's coming on Thursday. And I hope you're uh, hope you're prepared for it. Steven, you're in studio. What's going on, man?
5: Yeah, nothing much, John. Just uh, thinking about turkey now. Uh, but, no, you're talking about the Pac-12 games. Uh, yeah. You are you're a little indifferent on him. I feel good about a lot of my picks this week. I'm feeling really good. I feel like I see I'm seeing the board real well uh, for this rivalry
1: week. I'm seeing the board well. I'm, I'm seeing like it you're well. Seeing the ball well. Yeah,
5: it's, I'm just in the zone right now. But no, I'm feeling good, man. <laughs> I'm feeling real good about it. Uh, you you talk about Tom Brady and and him saying it's yeah. Mediocre. Is he right?
1: Is he right? That no. is there mediocrity? No, I, I I think
5: nowadays people are in all sports are more talented than they've ever been. And I just think that now that people retire, these older heads retire, they say that, you know, they just miss the game, basically, and they're going to just downplay how good it actually is. Now, there's a lot of things that are bad about professional sports that weren't bad back in the 90s or the early 2000s. But I think for a lot of people, like me, you know, as a basketball fan, there's all these guys that played in the 90s and the 2000s, and they say, like, the game's not as good. But the guys are way more talented. We have seven footers shooting threes all the time when back in the day. They couldn't shoot outside of five feet. And it's just the game has evolved into such a different thing, and there's so much more scoring in the NBA. Now you look at the defenses in the NFL. They've caught up to what the NFL has done offensively and all the rule changes that they changed to favor the offenses. I think the defense has just caught up. I don't think that it's mediocre play. I just think it's a guy that, like you said, maybe got some coaching, said, hey, let's try to get some uh, hotter takes out there. And, you know, it's Tom Brady. So if Tom Brady says it's mediocre, a lot of people are just going to believe him because he is – the best quarterback of all time with all the Super Bowls. But
1: are the teams at the top of the NFL right now as good as maybe the teams a decade ago well, in, in your mind? Do we have dominant teams, or what do we have?
5: I, I think that we do. I, I think there's a clear echelon, like a clear tier of teams that can win a Super Bowl, and the tier is not that much. It's you know five teams maybe at the top. Like I, I don't think it's as open as we're making it out to be.
1: Well, I, I, I wondered last night, I was not that impressed with the Eagles. I wasn't impressed, certainly, with the Chiefs. The Niners started off like gangbusters and then lost three in a row. I'm looking around the NFL, and I'm going, where's the greatness right now? And maybe some of that is, you know, the pursuit of so many of these leagues, including the NFL, that's been celebrated, has been the idea of parity. Like, we celebrate parity. We celebrate the idea that, you know, you can go 6-10 and and then be in the Super Bowl the next year. And that's part of the beauty of... What's, well, you know, a hard salary cap in the way that the teams are drafted and certainly injuries have played a role. There's a whole bunch of quarterbacks this season in the NFL that have been knocked out uh, for uh, a variety of uh, injuries, including Kirk Cousins and Joe Burrow and Deshaun Watson and Anthony Richardson and Aaron Rodgers and Kyler Murray. There's some guys have missed some time, so maybe that plays into it. But I am kind of looking around and I'm going, okay, like I was, I was bitching about, like, you know, when we knew it was going to be the Lakers and the Cavs, in the nba finals or it would be the heat in the nba finals when we knew that i was complaining that hey there's no parity the small market teams don't have a chance now i'm complaining because hey man what happened to the great teams what happened to these super teams in the nfl and in uh, in major league baseball why are all these wild cards making it to the super bowl and you know what's happened to the top of college football damn it where's where's lsu where's florida state when you know when they had Jameis winston where's where's uh the greatness anymore and and, and look, I don't think you're going to have it both ways because part of the, the magic of what's happening in college football this season, particularly this year, is we can all see, like, a 12-team playoff would be awesome this year in college football. We're a year away from it. Too bad that college football couldn't get its act together because the question would be, like, as they jockey for position now, who are the top four? Because the top four teams are going to get a bye when the playoff expands to 12. So those top four positions are going to be um, you know really coveted and you know automatic qualifiers to the to the top 6 conference champions and those those positions will be coveted as well and so I'm left kind of going damn it like this would be the year with Washington and Oregon both deserving to be in the playoff and maybe even Oregon State this would be the year for the playoff this would be the year that like you know a, a, a 9 seed could win a, you know a quarterfinal game and advance to play this would be the year that a 10 a 10 could win this would be the year because there are some really good teams that are dangerous and i would look at you know teams like alabama that would be playing as a as a a second entry in the sec and texas certainly would get in and you know you you'd have oregon and washington fighting for that top four spot to try to see which of those two would get the first round by like there would be a lot of drama to that and i don't want to sit back and join tom brady and be like well what happened to the greatness because I do think that kind of the uh, the the balance of things in all these sports has created a lot of intrigue and I, a lot of fun.
5: I do find it interesting, though, in college football, John. Like. Georgia's won the last two titles. They still haven't lost this season, but we're all saying that it's wide open this year. Because I agree <laughs> with you. I think it's wide open. I think a lot of teams could win the NCAA championship, but Georgia may just come in and dominate everybody and win a third straight national title. And it could just be status quo of what it's been. And maybe they are just the most dominant team, and they just haven't really been performing all season long. Like it's it. it this you're you're right. It's going to be a very interesting final. But I just find that very funny that. We all could be saying it's wide open, a 12-team playoff would be great, and maybe it's just Georgia wins by 40 in the college football playoff every game.
1: Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Let's go to the phone lines. I want your calls. Is Brady right? 503-417-7575. Let's start in Vancouver. Dave is holding. Dave, welcome to the show.
6: Oh, thanks for having me on, John. You bet. Yeah, I feel uh, Tom Brady is 100% right. I mean, there's no question. Why wouldn't he be? I can just see the product. Has gone down. The quality of play is not there. I mean, it happens. There's ebbs and flows, and I think the last three years there's been a flow downward in quality. Example: the Seahawks quarterback. He was a bench player his whole career, and now he's uh, doing pretty darn well.
1: Yeah, I I think too that the 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 league and the game have become easier for some players who play a certain style versus others. And, you know, you're watching an era where quarterbacks like Tom Brady who are leaving the league are looking back going, man, they, they you breathe on these guys and they throw a 15-yard penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct or roughing the passer. And I, I think it's worth pointing out, like I mentioned the list of quarterbacks who have missed time. And we watched the 49ers last year in the playoffs – who had this marvelous team and this marvelous run, and they get to the NFC title game, and their quarterback gets knocked out, and then the backup quarterback you know, can't play, and all of a sudden you are hamstrung and you have no shot to win the game. And so I think a lot of the rule changes that you have seen to protect quarterbacks in the NFL have gone too far, but I also understand the logic of what the league is trying to do. And they're trying to protect players, and they're trying to keep quarterbacks in particular on the field and in the lineup because they know that the game isn't any damn good if you don't have a quarterback who can play. And so... There've been some guys that have risen up and become better players because you can't touch them.
5: Are we just romanticizing though about the past? Because you know, going back, I'm looking at you know when Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl, 2002. Really, you know, 20 years ago, it's not that long ago. He threw for 145 yards in that game. If that's not mediocre, I don't know what is. So like, the game has he changed where everyone is more talented and there's more skill around all of these players. And right now, I just think the defenses have caught up a little bit to all this because a couple of years ago it was all about offense, and the rules have all shaped the offenses. Now I think the defenses have caught up, and it's going to be the offense's turn to come back. So I don't think it's mediocre. I think these guys are more talented than ever. I just think the coaching staffs also, like, they have to scheme a certain way. And you're right. Like, it is very um, – situational in all sports it used to be just you know in the in the bullpen it's the, bringing the lefty now it's you got the touchdown running back you got the blocking running back you got the hands running back you got the in-between tackles running back and now you got all these type of situational things i think people are finding their niche i, you know, I think this game i think all the sports are just as about are almost more skilled than they have been in the past
1: yeah uh, part of that too is to have the defenses adjusted right because I think the defense is, to some extent, I, I'm watching defensive backs right now in the NFL, and I can't think of a more difficult job than playing in space, trying to defend some of these fantastic athletes with quarterbacks being protected the way that they're protected, and you know the back shoulder throw and the intentional underthrows that the quarterbacks are throwing, and watching some of these amazing athletes adjust while the ball's in flight while defending a player on the run. And and even the completed passes. Hell, I was watching last night. The completed passes were like, you know, just beyond outstretched fingertips. It the quarterbacks are so good. And the rules are so skewed in favor of offenses. I, I do think we have seen an adjustment from defensive backs in the way that they play. I mean it's amazing to watch the NFL defensive backs who are at the top of their game. Play in space against some of these receivers.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think back to this, this last Saturday, Oregon State Washington, when Roma Dunze gets that catch on the third down. I mean, the Beavers played great defense. Like, it wasn't bad defense, it was just a better throw and a better catch. Like, I, I think that happens a lot where you're right, where these offenses are so on the same page and they know the back shoulder stuff. Like, that's got to be so hard to guard. And these guys are so athletic and so talented. They get it done, man, and they make it look easy. It's, I don't know. I, I, I think it's a little bit we romanticize about the past, and I do this too. But I think right now, like these sports, these these kids and these you know adults in the professional game are all so talented and also skilled. It's pretty amazing.
1: All right, I'm going to watch this weekend's games, college and NFL, framed by what Tom Brady said. So I'm going to be looking and say, okay, is he right? He's saying that the college coaches are jumping around so much that they're not developing players for the NFL in the same way. I disagree with that. I don't see that. I don't see what he's talking about. And I, I think the game in the NFL is officiated differently now, certainly, than it was at the beginning of Tom Brady's career. He could be talking about Ronnie Lott and the big hits that Lott made and how that would be called targeting or uh, otherwise. But Kenny Easley and Ronnie Lott were running around you know, knocking guys' helmets off. And and they came in an era after kind of the Jack Tatum uh, era of football and maybe Lawrence Taylor more closer to Ronnie Lott than Tatum. But um, I think that you know football has changed and evolved to the point where, like, player safety has become an emphasis. The leagues are terrified of getting sued. That you know they weren't looking out for the brain injuries that were happening in the NFL. They're going to obviously face class action suits, and former retired players are going to come back years later and say, "Hey, I can't remember where I live. I can't remember where I parked my car." So the leagues are all worried about that, and college football is worried about that. But they're simultaneously trying to put on a product that is good and. And by the way, they want all the teams in the NFL to feel like they have a chance to win. And so, yeah, something's got to give there. And maybe it's maybe it's just that you know, these teams are not going to be as dominant or easy to, to construct and keep together as they once were. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about the Oregon Ducks. Spencer McLaughlin, he is around the team. He's got some thoughts on the Civil War. I'm gonna talk about my mixed feelings when it comes to the Oregon Oregon State game. Jonathan Smith will be with us on today's show. Bruce Barnum will be with us on today's show, Portland State Coach. All of that's still ahead. Anna's gonna brine the turkeys. And I said Turkeys plural. she uh she went in search of like two smaller turkeys. and the idea being that we're gonna probably gonna traeger one and then do the other one traditionally. And I said if, if you get a turkey that's too small, it's not really a turkey. Like, how small can you go on the turkey before it turns into a chicken? Like, you got I think you got to be 13, 14, uh, 13, 14 pounds minimal. And, by the way, if you are a Traeger aficionado, you uh, feel free to slide into my DMs and tell me how you prepare your bird. Spencer McLaughlin. You can find his work on 750thegame.com. Also, Locked On Ducks, Locked On Pac-12 podcasts. He has been all over the Oregon football program this season. The regular season finale taking place on Friday at Autzen Stadium. The game will be on Fox. Spencer McLaughlin joining us. Are you at all a little sad about the winding up of the season, Spencer? Or where are you emotionally with this game?
6: No, you took the words right out of my mouth, John. I'm I'm sad that the season is coming to a close because, you know, I cover the conference and the Ducks on on my shows uh, five days a week all year round. And, you know, there's a nine month gap or so between football games. And, you know, by the time summer rolls around, you just start inching closer and closer and you get more and more excited. And then all of a sudden you look up and you're at the last week of the regular season and the last regular season week of the pac 12. I mean, it's not uh, it's exciting, but at the same time, I'm trying to treasure, you know, every, every single second of it. Like this is, this is the last Tuesday of the week. Yeah. It's a Tuesday. I think, um, it's, it's just, it's strange. The last, last Tuesday before the last regular season week of the pac 12, it's just, it's a bunch of laughs right now.
1: Yeah. Give me an idea of kind of where Oregon is emotionally. Everyone's been talking about how well they've been playing. Did that, did it look that way to you against Arizona state or is it hard to tell with the competition?
6: No, I, I think it looks that way because that, that week looked just about the same as every week, uh, really throughout the course of the season. Uh, you know, Oregon has come ready to play, uh, every single week. And certainly they haven't played perfect football all the time. Nobody does. But if I asked you right now, John, you know, what, what, what is Oregon's worst performance of the year? You're going to say probably Washington, where they put up over 500 yards of offense, I think it was, and uh, lost by a, a field goal to a top-five team on the road. That, that's that's probably their worst overall performance of the season. Maybe, maybe you'd say USC. You should have beaten USC by, by more than just nine points by the time the game came to a close. But I, I think the way that – this Oregon team is playing is just so consistent on both sides of the ball. Like I, I never look at Oregon's offense. I, I remember the Mario Cristobal, Marcus Arroyo uh, days, and you know, 2018 specifically. Oregon has that big win against Washington, and then uh, they had, if you remember, three massive letdown games on the road: Utah, Washington State, and Arizona. And they didn't. I don't think they scored in any of those first halves, and you know, I haven't felt that way about the Ducks on either side of the ball really all season. I never feel like they come out and they are unprepared for the task at hand. I feel like they're the opposite. I feel like they're always prepared for what's ahead of them, and I think that's been the case on both sides of the ball, and no matter who the opponent has been, I think their game plans and their mindset and their execution has been really, really good, and it has to be, again, to be a good Oregon State team this week, but I, I think that Everyone's been impressed with them for a reason, and it's been on both sides of the ball. they got a bunch of high-end playmakers. Bo Nix is, of course, great, but the defense is loaded, and everybody's just playing really, really good football, and it's week after week that they're doing that.
1: I'm uh, watching Washington and thinking about him this week and waiting for, obviously, the college football playoff rankings. and thinking that Washington not only needs to beat Washington State, but needs to look pretty good doing it. They're they're in a beauty contest at this point. Is Oregon facing any of that, or is it just win in advance, get to the conference championship game, and then it's time to to make your case?
6: Well, I I don't know if Washington's in the beauty contest. They keep getting left out of it every week. So I don't think they're getting past the – uh, the security guard at the door there, so it doesn't matter kind of what they do in their uh, beauty contest. I, they, they should be number four. I mean, frankly, they should be number three in the cultural ball playoff rankings. The fact that they're going to be, I don't know if they're going to be left out of the top four again. I don't know what you do with Florida State if you're the, the the committee, but if you leave out Washington again, it's just ridiculously inexcusable in, in, in my view, but I think for Oregon, you know, style points have been a big part of why they're in the position that they are in. And as a result, what what you're seeing is Oregon being ranked as the highest-ranked, highest one-loss team, you know, week after week. And it's because, like, look at the team that's right behind it. It's Texas. What has Texas's bugaboo been? That they play these mediocre to below-average teams, and they're struggling with them. Meanwhile, Oregon, Stanford, forty-two to six. Colorado, forty-two to six. Washington State, thirty-eight twenty-four. USC win by nine, and they were up by a lot more, you know, throughout the game. And, and what like Cal, sixty-three to nineteen. They're playing teams that are inferior, and it's not close. Texas is playing teams that aren't as good at the, as them, and they're having to scrape it out at the end. Like that's their saving grace at the moment. And um, you know, I, I think that in a crowded. 14 playoff field right now which will get whittled down in the next couple of weeks by at least one I think you know two teams will be kind of dropped out of the running at uh, at some point in time in one one way or another I think that Oregon beating Oregon State by you know if they cover a spread of two touchdowns which is just a lot of points for a rivalry game against a good team coming off of uh, a tough loss against the Huskies I think that Oregon can certainly benefit from that but I I think their style points have kind of already been baked into the cake
1: we're talking to Spencer McLaughlin he is on the Locked on Ducks podcast you can find his work at 750thegame.com as well the health of Oregon Uh, any injury concerns as this week approaches in your mind Spencer
6: I think you got to look at the secondary. You know, Oregon State, I think, has very underrated tandem of wide receivers in Silas Bolden and Anthony Gould. They're not big-body guys, but they're very fast, and, and they can take the top off the defense and, and really run the route tree at all three levels. And I've been impressed with both of them this year and the chemistry they've got with D.J. Uyungul. I think Gould was the one who went crazy against Cal uh, a few weeks ago down in Berkeley. and. Um, You know, I I think that the secondary injuries have have popped up time and again. Uh, Nowhere else Oregon's dealing with any major injuries. You know, Noah Whittington, running back, went down against Colorado, but that hasn't uh, been too much of a problem. He's a great player, but Jordan James is really good as well. He's averaging like six and a half, seven yards a carry so far this season. He he and Bucky Irving are a fantastic tandem in there. So uh, I, I think the secondary is the spot. You know when Kyrie Jackson is not on the field I think there's a pretty noticeable difference he's had an all-conference caliber season and uh, the true sophomore Lil Florence that, that guy is developing into a really really good-looking defensive back and they've been in and out seemingly every game in the last few weeks with, with, with injuries so I, I think the Ducks have got to be able to get healthy there to slow down these Oregon State wide receivers uh, but, but certainly you know if the Ducks do win this game you got to have your top corners available for Washington, want, or, or, play, or it should be a lot. Long...
1: I want to play something Dan Lanning said. He was asked about Mateo Uyunglele and what he would say to Mateo, whose <laughs> brother DJ is going to be on the other side of the ball. Here's Dan Lanning.
3: What, what do you say to Mateo in this kind of situation because of its uniqueness? Hit your brother. <laughs> Hit your, no, um, both great competitors. I think they're probably excited to go compete against each other, um, you know, and, and both really talented players. So uh, that that's not bigger than the game, and they both know that, and uh, Mateo certainly knows that. So it'll be fun for him to go out and compete. It'll be fun for his family. He's got a great family. Um, I'm excited for them to get to see that.
1: Well, You know, you, you got that matchup going on, which is very unusual. I think Lanning plays this right. You know, he plays it down the middle of the fairway. What'd you think of that response?
6: Well, I, I think there is an element of seriousness to his go-hit-your-brother. I don't think he's meaning go-punch-your-brother, just something illegal. But if you ask Dan Lanning, hey, do you want to pressure the quarterback this week? The answer is yes. If you ask him, hey, why would you recruit Mateo Uyungole to come to Oregon as a five-star recruit, because he's a really good player and he can get after the quarterback. So I think at some level he does want him to go and, uh, and, and, and hit his brother at at some point in time, just in the, the legal fashion so that Oregon doesn't pick up uh, 15 more penalty yards, which have certainly been a recurring issue for the Ducks this year. It was better against Arizona State last week. But, yeah, I, 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 think, it's a, I think it's a pretty classic, you know, tongue-in-cheek response with Dan Lennon. Did you ever notice with him, John, he, you know, it's his first time being a head coach. He seems to be such a veteran at, at the press conference ordeal. Like, he, he's, he always feels like he's speaking authentically but always has the right thing to
1: say that's yeah I feel of, like that's he's kind getting
6: of how it comes up to me yeah
1: yeah I feel like he's either he's either uh, thinking about what he's gonna get asked which is great or he has somebody telling him hey you might be asked about XYZ which I suspect that because he does seem prepared in a way that he wasn't a year ago he, he's much better much more comfortable and on brand and on point in in all of those uh, news conference settings uh, I I don't know. I think he's done a really nice job this year. I think outside of the strategy mistakes in the Washington game, he's been really good. And I I think it would be a real shame if Oregon didn't get back to the title game to play Washington. Who wins that game if they get there, Spencer?
6: Well, my my heart leans leans towards Oregon. My my head does as well. Um, but I, I don't say that with a I'll say high amount of confidence. He, here's the reason. John is Washington just keeps winning. Do you know what Kalen DeBoer's record is as a head football coach? Twenty two. It's a, hundred and, one, it's a hundred and one and eleven. A hundred. Well, in in, in his career, ever this is his yeah. third head coaching opportunity. He's a hundred and one and eleven. And, and I think what you know that game comes down to, and has the last couple of years has been execution, but you know, late, late in games in particular. And Kalen Bohr's team, they show time and time again, situationally on both sides of the ball, they are well prepared and, and they execute when they need to every single time. I don't think Washington can pull away from Oregon. I think Oregon can pull away a little bit from Washington. But if that matchup does materialize in, in Las Vegas, which is what a lot of people want, of course, I do as, as well. And It'd be a fantastic college football. It'd be one heck of a final Pac-12 championship. If that does come to fruition, I think that if it comes down to being a close game again, it's hard to not lean towards Washington, especially with the kicking struggles that Oregon's had over the last two months now. They've missed a field goal in in six of their last seven games, and Washington's been really, really good late. But if Oregon plays their best brand of football, I think they can win that game by, you know, maybe seven to ten points, and it doesn't come down to, you know, a fourth down decision or, or, or a late field goal. I, I think Oregon is, you know, playing at a really high level, and the, the other side of the coin is just, you know, everyone keeps expecting, well, Washington's got to lose at some point. Well, what? yeah, but they, they, they just keep winning. They, they keep winning time and time and time again, and I think that says something about the job that Kalen DeBoer has done up in Seattle.
1: Spencer McLaughlin, I'll see you at the stadium. Appreciate you, man, and uh, have a great Thanksgiving.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it, John.
1: There he is, Spencer McLaughlin. Read his work at 750thegame.com. Our big splash is coming up. Bruce Barnum at 4 o'clock. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State coach at 520. Make an appointment and be here. Pumpkin pie or pecan pie, Stephen?
5: Uh, if I have to vote between those two, it's pumpkin pie. But I don't I actually don't prefer either of those.
1: Wow. Not surprising to me. I'm a pecan pie guy. All the way, 100%. Um, I, I don't like the texture of pumpkin pie. I don't know.
5: I agree, I agree with you. It throws me off. Like I, yeah. I might have like one slice of pumpkin pie, and that's all I can handle for the year. And then I'm done.
1: Yeah. You, you kind of have to do it. Uh, but what's the one thing, then, aside from the turkey, what's the next thing that has to be at the table on Thanksgiving?
5: It's got to be the mashed potatoes, right? Turkey and mashed, mashed potatoes. Mashed
1: potatoes, gravy, yeah, gravy. stuffing.
5: Mm. It's all good. It's all, all good.
1: Uh, do you have a favorite holiday? Because we we're talking about this, in, or we do these family things where we kind of go around as we're driving or we're around the table. We go, what's your favorite holiday? And I'm always surprised by the answers. Like the nine-year-old will say, Halloween It's my favorite holiday. Anna said Thanksgiving was her favorite holiday. I'm a Christmas guy. How about you?
5: Yeah, I'm a Christmas guy. I think I like Thanksgiving, but I think Christmas is like uh, Thanksgiving on steroids. Like it's, uh, you know, you get the you get the big dinner, but then you also get gifts and you get to, you know, see everybody mm-hmm. happy getting the gifts that they want, especially yeah. with the kids. So like for me... I think Christmas would be my favorite out of all those.
1: Christmas uh, for I like I'm a giver. Like I I I get more out of like giving a gift, and so I love to see the kids kind of understand that their dad and their mom know who they are because that's what gift giving is about. It's like you looking at your kids and going, "I understand you. I get you. I know who you are." That's gift giving in general. And um, very soon, by the way, guys, you're gonna hear. Uh, you're going to hear uh, people talking about Christmas and you're going to get all stressed out. Um, I'll just give a shout-out, and this is just my advice to you. If you are in the Eugene area, go into Birch's Shoes or Birch's Shoe Outlet and tell them you want Ugg boots or slippers for her. And if you're in the uh, Portland area uh, or anywhere uh, with a six stores, uh, Portland to Salem, go to Shoe Mill and do the same thing, Ugg boots and slippers. You cannot go wrong there. Um, different varieties, different colors. If this is the first time you're doing it, just get the standard UGG boots. That's what you want. You will look like a hero at Christmas time. So your job is to get the shoe size, and then either get online at ShoeMill.com or go into Birch's Shoes, Birch's Shoe Outlet, or Shoe Mill, and you can uh, get those slippers or boots, and then you're done. You look like a hero, and uh, I that's a public service announcement. That's not a commercial. That's a PSA as they say. All right, we have our Big Splash. It's the one thing you need to know. Let's have at it.
3: This is the Big Splash. Brought to you by Killer Burger. Voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger's 10 rad burger builds will send your taste buds on an epic journey. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you
1: about. Well, New York Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers is jogging. That's the headline. He's jogging. He is eyeing a return to practice in two weeks, only three months removed from surgery on his left Achilles. Said he wanted to be trending towards practicing on his birthday. He said that on the Pat McAfee show. It appears that Aaron Rodgers is ahead of schedule. That will surprise nobody. As uh, people have looked at Rodgers this year in his recovery, the four-time MVP has maintained that he... uh, he will come back if the Jets can only stay in contention. So that's the question. The Jets are 4-6. and six. They were 4-3, and three, looking pretty good. It's been a three-game losing streak. It looks kind of bleak right now. But Rodgers says the Jets aren't out of it. He's looking at the Packers. He's looking at the uh, Jets from 2009. He's saying, hey, they went from 4-6 and six to get to the NFC or AFC championship game. But it's clear that the Jets are sputtering right now. Question is, can they get back? Do I have to root for the Jets just so I can see if Rodgers really can come back? I'll do it. They play the Dolphins uh, coming up on uh, this weekend, and then it's uh, the Falcons, the Texans, then the Dolphins again. So the Dolphins twice in four games is tough. Then it's the Commanders, the Browns, and the Patriots. Let's, let's break that down, Stephen. Just shout out win or loss. The Jets against the Dolphins at home.
5: Uh, that's a loss, especially with Tim Boyle at a quarterback.
1: The Jets against the Falcons at home.
5: I will. Um, I'll give them a win.
1: Okay. So uh, if you're the Jets, you're now at five and seven. Jets Texans.
5: Um, I'll go win
1: six and seven and feeling pretty good. Yeah. Uh, at the Dolphins, loss. And then it's a question of Christmas Eve. Commanders Browns Patriots down the stretch. Is it worth at that point if you're sitting at, you know, 6 and 8, 6 and 7 depending on when he comes back, does Aaron Rodgers come back for the final 3 games?
5: I I don't think he does. Um I mean just if it's a true torn Achilles like it was reported and it says it was, I can't see how he's coming back within the year. Like it just doesn't make any sense medically, like that he could come back. And maybe it wasn't a full tear or something. I don't know. Uh, maybe he really did figure something out that he can come back within a couple months. I just find it really hard to believe that Aaron Rodgers would be able to come back, especially at his age, uh, within the year to come back during the season. So I, I don't think – I'll have to see it before I believe it. I don't think he'll be back this year.
1: Well, let's see what happens because I think if they're within a striking distance, he would come back. The one that kills you is two weeks ago they lost to the Raiders. 16-12 uh, in a game they should have won. And you could just tell from the expression on his face after, you know, he was on the sideline, they kept cutting to him, and it was like he was going, hey, if I'm going to come back and it's going to matter, you got to win that game. But the cynic you know? in
5: me, John, says Aaron Rodgers looks at the record, he looks at Tim Boyle being the starting quarterback, and yeah. it's a no-lose situation by him saying, yeah, I want to come back if we're in it, but if we're not, you know, we'll, just, we'll take it slow. Like, there's no there's no losing there because – I mean, they're not going to win these games. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're four and six, and they're starting Tim Boyle. Like, they're, I just, I feel like there's a he knows they're not going to make the playoffs. So it's like a to...
1: it's like a fake flex from Rogers. Like, yeah. hey man, I can come back. I can put the cape on, but you know that he knows down deep that he's not going to have to. That's I kind
5: of, I kind of think so. Maybe I'm wrong on this. What I mean, what, do you think that's viable?
1: I, it's kind of like if you know you were we were doing the Hood to Coast run, and you said, hey. For leading the race, I'll run the finer leg.
5: Yeah, exactly. You know,
1: I'll jump out of the van at six in the morning. I'll run the last stretch of that that marathon race, and you know and damn well that you're just going to be napping in the back <laughs> of the van the whole time. But let's look at the AFC as a whole. You know, you got the Dolphins probably going to win the AFC East. They're they're only uh, what a game and a half in front of the Bills. But they're still looking good at seven and three. Um, who's gonna win the North? Is it Ravens or Browns? Or Steelers? Like there's a race there in the North.
5: Yeah, it is a race. Um, I, I think the Ravens now, especially with Deshaun Watson being heard, the Browns have been really good this year. And I think defensively they're a Super Bowl Super Bowl bound defense. I just can't trust Dorney Thompson Robinson quite yet. Yeah. I think if Deshaun Watson was playing, I may go Browns in that situation, but uh I'll take the Ravens in the AFC North.
1: The Texans in the South have won three straight to pull within a game of the Jaguars, who are 7-3. and three. Jacksonville or Houston in the AFC South?
5: I'd have to go with the Jaguars. Uh, I, I'm not ready yet to say C.J. Stroud is ready to dominate the AFC and win the AFC South. I might be wrong on that. He may be better than Trevor Lawrence in this situation. He's been awesome this season, but I think the Jaguars are just a little more talented. They have the experience from last season. Getting to the playoffs, competing with the Chiefs in that second round uh, playoff game. So I'm going to go with the Jags in that one.
1: All right. So as we look at the playoff picture, probably Kansas City and the AFC West. I just I think it's their division to lose as long as Mahomes is breathing. Uh, they uh, they win that. But how do we see kind of the wild card look in in the uh, in the AFC? If you're starting to look at you know teams that could potentially make the postseason. You know, you look at some extra teams there. Who do you have in? If it's the Ravens, Chiefs, Jaguars, Dolphins as your division winners, is it the Browns, Texans, and Steelers?
5: I think the Bills. I mean, I would still am going to throw the Bills in there, even though they've been not great this season. I have a hard time thinking that they're not going to make the playoffs. But, um, I yeah, I'd go with the Browns and the Bills. And then I think it comes down to the Steelers. Steelers, Bron- or Texans, Steelers, Texans, or Broncos. Even at five and five, Broncos won four in a row. John, you know I've been on the Broncos a little bit this uh, second half of the year. I think they still have a chance to make the playoffs. I think it comes down to those three teams uh, competing for that final spot: Steelers, Texans, Broncos.
1: In the NFC, it's the Eagles, it's the Lions, it's the Niners, it's probably the Saints, the Cowboys, the Seahawks, and Minnesota maybe green bay after that. It, yeah, I think the NFC is pretty clear. I think it is Minnesota as the 7th team that gets in.
5: The problem with Seattle though, John, check out their schedule. Next week 49ers, then at Cowboys, at 49ers, then host the Eagles. Like that is a brutal four-game stretch right there for Seattle. I know they're 6 and 4, but I mean, would it be surprised if they lost four in a row and they just lost to the Rams and they're 6 yeah. and 8 at that point? Like I think Seattle's in a tough spot where they're gonna have to, you know, pull off an upset or two in these next four games.
1: The problem is the teams that are on the bubble in the NFC are teams like the Packers who are four and six, the Rams who are four and six, the Falcons who are four and <laughs> yeah, six that's, that's and true. the Buccaneers who are four and six. It, Tom Brady said it best, like there's some mediocrity right there as you look at it. Like I, I just can't see like the Packers, Rams, Falcons, Buccaneers knocking out, you know, Seattle or Minnesota out of one of those final wild card spots. I I think
5: the only team would be the Rams for me with Stafford being back healthy ish. Cooper Cup went out in that last game, but I think Stafford Cup Puka Nakua, like that offense is solid. I can see them going on a little run, but you're right. Like the NFC depth wise is not even close to the AFC.
1: Bruce Barnum, Portland State football coach, is gonna join us coming up. Season finale they knocked out Northern Colorado. What's next? for Barnum in Portland State. We'll talk about it with the coach. They've got to get him a football stadium or they have to get back into Providence Park. Will the Timbers please let Portland State play at Providence Park again? Hell, it sits empty on their game days. Just rent it to them. Uh, be a good steward of the community for crying out loud. Give them a, a home. Throw them a bone. Bruce Barnum coming up. Jonathan Smith in the 5 o'clock hour. Punch an audio. Anna in there as well. We got a lot of head. Is there a better uh, scene in a uh, in a poker movie than Matt Damon and Teddy KGB in Rounders? John Malkovich in Rounders in in that in that final scene where uh, he tell he lets Teddy know that he's he knows his tell. Is there a better scene than that? I don't know if Bruce Barnum's a movie guy. Dan Lanning's a movie guy. Jonathan Smith, not so much. You know, when I covered Jerry Tarkanian, the uh, legendary basketball coach, he told me he did not want his assistant coaches to be good golfers because he didn't want them on the golf course. He wanted them out recruiting, coaching. But are movies different? Like, is it okay? Like, is it okay if football coaches watch movies? They're on planes. Can't be football all the time. Bruce Barnum joining us, Portland State football coach. Season finale for Portland State, uh, you know, went well. You look at their season as a whole, I want to evaluate it. They beat Northern Colorado on Saturday on the road. 27-23 is the final. Barnum here to talk about it. Congrats on the win. Hey,
7: thanks, John. Thanks for having us on the... On the Barnum finale, you know this is a big day, right? For Thanksgiving, you got the Barnum finale in the movie. I heard you talking. I usually don't hear that. Uh, the Oreo, yeah, greatest one of the greatest scenes in the movie, poker movie. Yeah. You watch movies at 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 this level. You watch movies. I doubt, you know, on Dan and Coach Lanning and Smitty are heading somewhere. And you can't watch a whole movie, you know, getting off the charter plane to the mm-hmm. hotel but when you're driving your ass to Sacramento you get a couple movies in I love you
1: know? that I love that the advantage of being on a bus versus a chartered plane um hey how did you uh how did you feel about the season as a whole four and four in conference play five and six overall had to play some payday games at the beginning of the year cost you your five and four if you exclude those two games
7: yeah, and that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to get rid of at least one money game. I'm hoping uh, President uh, could. You know, that's one thing on the docket. You know, just get rid of them both. I mean, you want Portland State to have a better record and better shot at the playoffs, just get rid of them both. But that's money. I understand that. Um, I The season, we're very young, John. I'm disappointed. I still haven't figured out why I have, you know, I understand everybody has injuries, and don't get me wrong, I'm not making excuses. I'm just trying to get rid of 20-plus injuries a year, you know, and this year it hit some guys game six. We had a huge one at Northern Arizona, you know, it's a hard place to win, yada, yada. And I lost three, you know, I lost two guys for the season that were critical to us, you know. You look at UC Davis this year, they lost one guy. We're, you know, it's just how it is. The FCS level, your your depth isn't as great. But they lost one guy, they lost every game he played. He didn't play. They won every game he played. You know, he's offensive player of the year. And that number three kid for UC Davis. Yeah. And that's kind of how we are. I got a kid who's on the uh, top fifteen running backs in the country, and and he, and he we lose him anyway. I have to stay healthy. You know, next year's going to be a. Different schedule, eight teams that are ranked right now, six that are in the playoffs, plus two FBS. So ready to go. But I we sat down. We we're already on. I met Friday uh, before, even before the game um, this week. Just on our off season, I think we're athletic. We have the athletes. Uh, I need to get them mentally ready, tougher, and I need to get them bigger, stronger. I want to look like everybody else, you know. I want our linebackers to look like real linebackers. Our tight ends to look like real tight ends, you know. That's my goal. So um, what I think of the season, I want to win more games. Uh, I think if we get one, two more, which uh, we're winnable. I think if we had people, we still fought in them. We're in the playoffs, but we're not. So plan it for next year.
1: Which game, when you look back at the season, haunts you, or do you say, gosh, I'd, I'd like to replay that one? Idaho State,
7: Davis, those two, you know, um, uh, games that we, don't get me wrong, I mean, I my third string tailback told me Thursday he couldn't play, so we probably should have changed the game plan for Idaho State, knowing that I was all of a sudden down to a freshman running back, and we like to run the ball. Um, we made those, you know, moves during the game, but we probably should have sat down Friday morning and, and switched over the game to our original game plan, but we didn't. They played well; they beat us. Um, that one in the Davis game.
1: When you look at the ability to stay healthy, how does how do those money games factor into staying healthy?
7: Well, this year we, we were all right in those, honestly, you know, because I made, you know, the people listening, the Duck fans listening, you know, saw me get a a, a snowman put on the Mighty Vikes, but I did it by pulling people. You know, I, I had all these freshmen in on the second half because I wanted to stay healthy. I don't know. We're looking into it, John. I think it's nutrition. I, I think a lot goes into it, you know. Uh, right now i got... Uh, got a, I bought a used freezer from my neighbor and we got that in the football office and that, my guys are my nutrition bars, on Uncrustables you know um, bought it to Mighty Costco and I just, I'm trying to make it work but I, I have to get better at it and I think the nutrition side along with the weight room we have to prepare for a 12 game season and keeping people healthy
1: what happened to your voice?
7: You know, I, God bless America. I've been drinking right now. I got a cup of hot coffee, you know, trying to get it normal. Um, you know, when you're down in the fourth quarter with six minutes to go (laughs) against a team that's got the donut, you know, it kind of, you know, I got to fire up the troops a little bit here, you know, and I might've lost it on a, on a, a windy field, Nottingham Field in Sherwood Forest over there in Colorado, but it works, so, you know, we don't need it for Thanksgiving. Everybody's gone anyway, so.
1: How does it, like, give me an idea, uh, winning the season finale versus losing the season finale, it, it's a big shift of mindset, isn't it?
7: It is, because you're leading in the off season. We talked about it before the game, you know. Um, we made it into November, still had a chance at the playoffs. We lost out, now it's time this one's going to catapult us into the off season, you know. With these pups I got, um, that I'm going to be, we're going to be counting on. So um, that part of it was huge. It was an upside, you know. Somebody, I don't know, somebody said, "Oh, that's an ugly one." I said, "The hell it is. That's a win, you know." And so that leading into the off season is, is what we needed.
1: On your staff, there's always turnover. There's guys that are. Got to be looking at other jobs and have opportunities. How do you keep continuity at a place like Portland State when you know that guys on your staff have ambition?
7: Well, I treat that differently, and it—you know—I try to help them out. I know what this is. I, uh, some, a lot of people, guys, have worked here that are at better jobs now. I've helped them move on. I see that—that that is my job. Uh, as a head coach at Portland State, you know, I'm not at you know, um, Oregon, Oregon State, where uh, I can keep them. I have the money to keep them, so I have to be choosy. You know, I I can put my ducats into one or two to try to keep them here. That's how I try to keep the continuity, and then then coach up the young coaches that we get through. I, I lose about four or five a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's just it is what it is. So I try to help them out and get them somewhere. I got, I got some guys scattered right now already. It's pretty cool. The
1: uh, you know the whole idea that recruiting has changed. Give me a sense of how recruiting has changed for you, as it pertains to you know you got some programs in your conference that are telling kids, hey, come play for us. I'll get you to a, get you to a power five. You know. Are you having those conversations now? Has it changed at all, or is that it's too early to say? Well, we're kind of
7: on the flip side of it. I'm not going to approach it that way. Um, I'm on the side of trying to get those kids. Um, I had one young man come in today. You know, he's going to have his degrees. He has a year left, and he's going to jump the portal. You know, good for him. Shook his hand, thanked him for everything. And um, uh, on the flip side, then I walked into a room um and i and the window' about to open heavy after next weekend after rivalry weekend right now it's so grad transfers in junior college I walked in the room and i watch uh, six uh, fresh guys you know um, that are out there either in the portal or grad transfers you know i think I said no 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 yes and we're moving on that guy and um so uh, we're we're playing it that way i'm not Uh -uh, selling as a way to get there, because those guys are going to come anyway. Uh Oh, excuse me. They're going to come. If they like my guys, they're going to come shop. I can't stop that. You know. um, So, why fight it? Control what I can control.
1: Is it made it harder? Because Tom Brady, I want to play something Brady said today uh, this week about the NFL. And he's kind of, he's, you know, maybe he's an old guy who's looking back and saying the game isn't what it used to be, but yeah, listen to what Brady said. I want, to, I want to get your take on this.
4: I think there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL. Yeah. I don't see the excellence that I saw in the past. Why not? And ho- Why not? I think the coaching isn't as, as good as it was. I don't think the development of young players is as good as it was. The rules have allowed a lot of bad habits to get into the actual performance of the game. Mm-hmm. So I just think the product, in my opinion, is less than what it's been. I think I look at a lot of players like Ray Lewis and Rodney Harrison and Ronnie Lott and guys that impacted the game in, in a certain way, and every hit they would have made would have been a penalty.
2: Mm.
6: You
4: hear coaches complaining about their own player being tackled and not necessarily, why don't they talk to their player about how to protect himself? We used to work on the fundamentals of those things all the time. Now they're trying to be regulated all the time. Offensive players need to protect themselves. It's not up to a defensive player to protect the offensive player. A defensive player needs to protect himself. I didn't throw the ball to certain areas because I was afraid players were going to get knocked out
1: brady is he an old man on his lawn or is is he spitting truth about the fact that maybe players are not developing like they used to
7: uh, i you know he, he's in a different world as far as the development of players i do know that once guys get to the nfl they're already pretty damn developed um they've had outstanding coaching you know the ones that come and have impact right away from what i see they come from great programs you know that have coaches plenty of coaches with a lot of knowledge and they prep them for whatever position they're going to enter in the nfl um a lot of the head coaches have relations with the nfl so then you know what do you need what does this guy need to work? how how can i help this kid i know this has been done um to prepare him for your level yada yada, but then you get the other guys who come in, maybe from programs with not as many coaches um, you know not the help or the coaching that a guy can have so he's more green um, as far as um, you know development and those are the guys you see maybe not produce until they get to the second team the first team that takes them, develops them, uh, then they, you know, put them on the practice, or they got picked up by somebody else, and then they thrive because they've had umpteen coaches on that NFL staff with a ton of experience and knowledge and expertise get that kid ready. But then the the guy three years down the road, you know, gets the profit of that, if that makes any sense. And then Brady, I mean, what was he talking about? He's not developed. He's developed, but I I went to – I've been to two NFL games in my life, and one of them was watching him because I knew his backup quarterback. He's a max protect. I mean, don't get me wrong, he could throw the ball like anybody. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks uh, in in the world. But uh, the, side I, the part I found interesting, he's talking about getting hit and how to take a hit. I mean, that guy. He he did not want to get hit, from what I saw, which no quarterback Mm -hmm. does. But when he did, he'd get up, and he's chewing somebody's ass. I guess that's developing your
1: your whole life. Yeah, he's coaching his guys. Bruce Barnum with us, Portland State coach. Uh, Rivalry game, Oregon, Oregon State this week. I don't know how much of the Beavers you saw, but you saw a lot of the Ducks. And you know, I'm kind of wondering, from an emotional standpoint, maybe you could speak to this. Oregon is playing to get into the conference championship game. Oregon State's playing to keep Oregon out of the conference championship game. Uh, Psychologically, end-of-the-season game like that, Um, what comes to your mind when I bring that up?
7: Um, They always say, I mean, I hear it, you know, uh, rivalry game, you know, records don't matter. Well, maybe they don't for the first maybe two or three series. You know, because you're riding an emotional hurricane if you're the underdog. Uh, But after that, if a team is crisp and on, you know, on point and rolling, I think that takes over. You know what I mean? Um, Where's it at?
1: Oregon. Autzen Stadium.
7: At Oregon. And that team, I mean, I heard they put 80-plus on a team this year. You know, and they've been rolling ever since. I think they're getting better, I think. (laughs) Oregon State is who they are. They're a bulldozer that's going to hit you in the mouth, you know. Um, They're not built to score a bunch. The Knicks crew, they're they're built to, they can put some up on you if you want. Not like they did me because Oregon State's defense is a hell of a lot better than I put on the field, but um, Oregon's rolling right now. Oregon State's playing very well, uh, but uh, they're also coming off an emotional loss, I think, and I, yeah. I haven't. My, my DVR, you know what that is, right? The thing yeah, that I, I, you, I know. yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Kiss my grits. I come home. I'm gonna watch Oregon State, Washington, right? Yeah. I get home, and it's not on the, the, the it's not on the darn DVR. <laughs> I've never been so pissed in my life. Anyway. But I know they lost. And I saw a couple things. They had a fumble series in there, back and forth. Yeah. I know they're gritting their teeth over that one. And
1: they snapped the but, ball. The the big play was the on special teams. It, you know, the snapper it was wet, and they snapped the ball over the head of the punter, and Washington got a safety. That's the difference. Oh, was in the game. that
7: the safety? Yeah. Oh, ouch. Punter
1: had, punter had to kick it out of the back of the end zone to avoid a touchdown, and that's that. And see, you know, I didn't
7: you, know that because I couldn't watch the damn thing. So. Well, here's what happened
1: in the second half, though. Oregon State got the ball to start the second half and went on a 10-minute drive, scored a touchdown, but didn't give the ball back to Washington. Like, Washington hardly played in the second half, did not score in the second half.
7: Really? And see, that's the bulldozer. I didn't even know that. That's the bulldozer I'm talking about that Smitty's bringing down to the Green Stadium. And, you know, you, you enter the Emerald City and you got those guys... Flashy ass uniforms, and they're coming after you. And right now, they're click, they're clicking. And the mighty Knicks—I mean, he can what they have him doing—they can put some up on you, and they can go fast and keep you off balance. Um, so it'll be interesting. Yeah. I'm guessing Smitty's I think, or plan? I think,
1: or I think Oregon's the better team. But what you were about to say, Smith's game—you'll well, guess
7: he's going is... he, to keep Knicks off the field, and, and, and he's got the. He's got the team to do it. He's got the offense to do it. You know, he probably wants to win that game, 14 to, to 10. You know, um, and he can do it. I mean, he just did it against Washington. He's got, I think, a hell of a defense. Um, but to be able to do that, that's got to be what they do. And then, you know, hope the ball slips their way once or twice, and special team just as far as the turnover battle. You know, and finish drives in the red zone and. I mean, they'll be fired up for it. I mean, like I said, Oregon State beat them last year, didn't they?
1: Yes. Ran yeah. the ball 18 times in a row to finish the game and uh, overcame a 17-point fourth-quarter deficit to win the game.
7: Yeah, yeah. see, so the, the confidence is there. Uh, that'll be a fun game. I'm going to make sure my DVR gets that one.
1: There you go. Bruce Barnum, a, uh, thank you for coming on all season long. We'll get you back on. Here in the off season, get your guys stronger. I recommend picking up weights. Pick them up, put them down.
7: Good. Thanks, Thanks for having us, John. Okay. Appreciate it.
1: All right. Take care of that voice, too. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. There he goes, Bruce Barnum, Portland State coach. Um, he's coming back for another year. I uh, spoke with officials at Portland State uh, a couple weeks ago, kind of gauging the temperature and what I gathered from the administrators at Portland State was that they are they are well aware of the obstacles that not having a home football stadium create for a Big Sky Conference program. Vote of confidence from John Johnson, the athletic director for Bruce Barnum. Barnum, uh, this season, obviously they lost to Oregon, demoralizing loss to the Ducks, eighty-one to seven to start the year. But you, uh, you look at the totality of his season, five and six overall, and you go, okay, the Wyoming, the Oregon games, he's got to play them. He's playing against teams that you, you know, they, these two things just do not look the same. Um, he goes five and four in the other games. I thought it was an all right season. I think, I think there were two games they could have won. It would have made it a really good season. The Idaho State game was puzzling to me. They lose it at home, and then UC Davis and. The funny thing is, it was like the Hawkins family. You know, the Dan Hawkins and his son, Coach UC Davis and Idaho State, and those were the two games that cost Bruce Barnum in Portland State this season. Uh, Coming up at five o'clock, we'll have the five at five, and at five twenty, Jonathan Smith. Oregon State football coach will be with us to talk about the Civil War. Does he really want to win 14-10? I'll ask him. Latest college football playoff rankings are out. There's been a change in the top four. Probably not a shocker. Georgia at one. Ohio State at two. Michigan at three. Washington at four. Florida State at five. Washington and Florida State flip-flopping. The undefeated Huskies are in the top four. That's good for the Pac-12. It's good for the Huskies. Frankly, it's good for the Oregon Ducks, who are sitting at 6 and have an opportunity if they can beat Oregon State on Friday, to uh, get to uh, get to the conference championship game and potentially play a top four team. Florida State dropping to five, uh, Oregon at six, Texas at seven, Alabama at eight, as expected. Stephen, your reaction: the committee get it right in moving Washington to four?
5: Yeah, yeah, I think it. I it, we talked about this yesterday. It was the safe play, right? Because we don't know exactly what Florida State's going to be with their backup quarterback in there, Jordan Travis, being hurt. And now we're going to have two two sample points of Florida State going on this season without Jordan Travis. And I think if they continue to win those games – it's gonna be hard to say they can't be in the college football playoff, but I think right now you can put Washington ahead of Florida State just because of the you know the resume that Washington has built, going on the road, winning in Corvallis, which you know Oregon State was eleventh last week. Like that is a very quality win. Oregon State still sixteen, so it's a good win for Washington. I
1: think it makes a lot of sense uh, to move Washington ahead of Florida State at this point. So the full rankings, you've got Arizona at fifteen, Oregon State at sixteen. For Pac-12 fans, uh, I th- look. I kind of wondered how the committee would handle Florida State and the injury to, to uh, you know, the quarterback and and how you know going forward. But Jerry Palm of CBS Sports reached out to me last night, and he says I think they're going to move him anyway. He says I think they're going to move Washington in front of Florida State anyway. So I was interested to see how that would go down. Uh, there is some style points up in the air this weekend. You know, you've got. Rivalry games featuring the number two and number three teams. What should Pac-12 fans be rooting for? Glad you asked. If you're a Pac-12 fan and you want to see the Pac-12 champion seated as highly as possible, uh, you probably want to see either both teams not look impressive, um, and maybe one team win by enough of a margin to really push the loser of that game out of the out of the picture, or you want to see an absolute butt kicking. Just to get rid of somebody, Ohio State blowing out Michigan or Michigan blowing out Ohio State in that game. Meanwhile, the Apple Cup's interesting because Washington now at four. I I have to think the Huskies they not only need to win this game, they need to look good doing it. Like they need to show the committee that hey, putting putting Washington at four was the right move, and Florida you know look better than Florida State will look against Florida without their quarterback. Oregon meanwhile at six. I still think Oregon's got you know they the the obviously the first priority is winning the game, but the second priority is I think Oregon has to look good doing it as well. It will go down as the first and only top twenty-five win for the Ducks if Oregon can beat Oregon State. I had somebody reach out to me today and say, "Well, yeah, but well, they played Colorado when they were ranked, and they played Utah when they were ranked, and Oregon played um, uh, also played USC when they were ranked. Why don't they get credit for that?" Well. It, it has to be like, what have you done for me lately ranking? Like, where are they now? Colorado, not in the top 25. USC, not in the top 25. Utah, not in the top 25. So this would be Oregon's opportunity in the next two weeks. Friday, this Friday coming up, and next Friday, as uh, they potentially could play in the Pac-12 championship game against Washington, here's a chance to beat number 16 and a chance to beat number 4. And that'll be enough for Oregon.
5: The question I have, John,
1: for Oregon,
5: if Florida State were to win those last two games, beat Florida and then beat Louisville, but they don't look impressive, you know, maybe win by a field goal, maybe you know, they're close games, they get edged out, is there a chance that if Oregon were to win out, beat Oregon State, beat Washington, the committee would dare put Oregon ahead of an undefeated Florida State team?
1: I don't think so. I don't think in front of an undefeated team without, well, I think, well, I'll say this. I think Oregon's got to win out. Oregon will be in the top 4 if they win out. I, I don't see the committee keeping the Pac-12 champion out because there is a a uh, incentive to put a top 25 or excuse me a a, a top uh, conference champion who you know the team that wins the conference champion gets championship gets a little bit gets a priority gets a VIP pass so to speak. And so I think Oregon would get in, but I don't think they're going to get in front of an undefeated Florida State. I don't think they will leapfrog Florida State unless Florida State looks, I would say, really bad maybe in beating Florida. Like maybe, you know, they beat Florida 14-13. And all of a sudden everybody goes, oh, that that team's not capable of winning. So from a seeding perspective, though, I think Florida State's going to get in if they're undefeated. I don't see how the committee keeps Florida State out of the top four. And I think it's set up right now for Georgia, the winner of Ohio State-Michigan, the Pac-12 champion and Florida State to get in.
5: Is it concerning to you that they have both Michigan and Ohio State ahead of Washington? Because I think it was Roy maybe brought it up yesterday. He thinks that the loser of that Michigan-Ohio State game could still be ahead of the Ducks because they both would have one loss. Is that a fear at all that you think that Oregon may not be the top one-loss team at the end of the season, even if, if they are to win it all?
1: It's a little bit of a fear, and I and I understand what the caller was saying yesterday, but here's I think the committee is signaling that if – Ohio State and Michigan, you know, the loser of that game is probably going to drop to number five. Okay. So I do think the loser of that game could be fifth or could be sixth or could be seventh. And, and depending on how they look, if they get boat raced, if it's like 35 seven, then, you know, maybe they drop further. But I think there's still going to be a one loss team that has you know it's kind of like Oregon losing to Washington they're going to be sitting right outside the top 4 waiting for somebody to screw up so i think if Oregon and Washington get into the Pac-12 championship game and let's say Oregon beats Washington in a great game i'd still think the committee's going to put Oregon in front of whoever loses that that uh that Big 10 game i think the big, i think the Pac-12 champion is in the playoff given how much credibility and how much strength of schedule the Pac-12 is given credit for this year, you certainly look at the top 16 teams in the rankings and you've got, you know, Washington, Oregon, uh, Arizona and or- er- Oregon state sitting all in the top 16. I think you, the committee's still going to ha- look at Oregon and look at Washington and go, Hey, conference champion gets in. Now I think the equation changes if let's just say, um, it's Arizona that gets to the conference championship game and they beat Washington. I don't think the Pac-12 champion's going. Um, I think that's that's the formula for, you know, opening the door for somebody else getting in. But I understand the frustration because the Pac-12's been screwed so many times and watched multiple conferences get two teams in. I I don't blame Pac-12 fans for going, hey, uh, how are they going to get us this year? Because I think that's a possibility.
5: It's interesting to me that usually it works itself out where you know teams – We'll lose a game that they're not supposed to, and then it's pretty easy for the committee. I mean, there's five undefeated teams right now. Like right now, they're gonna have to make a tough decision. You look at Oregon, who everyone seems to love and think that they're a top four team. If you're just you know basing it off of how you look, that's gonna be a tough decision. I think the committee, in its final year of this iteration of a four team playoff, is gonna have a really tough decision coming down to the end, uh, and it's gonna be really the first tough decision they've had to make in their in, in the history of the CFP. Gonna be uh, very interesting to see what they do. I. I'm with you. I think Oregon controls its own destiny. I think if they win, that they're in the college football playoff. I think it's going to be hard to say, you just beat Oregon State, you beat Washington, and you're not going to get in being a one-loss team losing to Washington up in Seattle. That's a very good loss if you're looking at the losses. But, man, you're right. As a Pac-12 fan, uh, I I can't trust anything that these people are doing.
1: Well so here's what you root for if you're a Pac-12 fan. You want Georgia to run away with the SEC. You don't want any Alabama over Georgia in the SEC Championship game. So Georgia runs away, that's one SEC team in, nobody else in. Uh Ohio State, Michigan, somebody blows somebody out or beats them convincingly in this rivalry game coming up this weekend so you can eliminate one of those two teams. Then you got Florida State like, you know, you you could argue you could root for Florida to beat Florida State. That would that would, I think, all but assure that the Pac-12 team's not only in, but is in as a two or a three, and and not the fourth team in. So I I keep an eye on that, you know, because I think uh, if you're a Pac-12 fan, you'd probably prefer not to be the number four team. You'd like if you're going to play Georgia, you play them in the uh, in the national championship game and not a semifinal. Let's go to Mark in Portland. He's called in. What's up, Mark? Hey,
3: I uh, just. <clears throat> I think I got a pretty good read on these elites. You know, the, the committee's a little different than the BCS, but to me it, it seems really obvious for if Oregon, if they went out, they need for Alabama or Florida State to lose. If, if those two teams went out, Florida State and Alabama, Alabama beats Georgia, then Oregon would have to knock the two-time defending champ out of the playoffs in order to get in. So it, the whole thing is stupid to me, too, though, John, because at the beginning of the year, the Pac-12, Colorado, the worst team in the league, was beating Nebraska, TCU. We were, we, uh, we were doing really well in out-of-conference games. Now they get into the conference and they start knocking each other out with three and four losses, and these, all, these teams now aren't ranked that were ranked when Oregon played them. It's so dumb to me. I just can't wait for the automatic qualifiers in the 12-team playoff because this is so stupid the last year what we're going through, all yeah. the conference champions, Texas, Alabama, Georgia, all five of them should be in uh, the field of, of play and it's, they should control their own destiny. It's never been a real playoff in college football. And that's why I'm excited about next year. You guys can kind of see what my brain's been dealing with. It blows me up because <laughs> you just see this stuff happening, chaos. I mean, what if, what if Alabama does win? What if Florida State is undefeated? The only way... You're going to knock Georgia out. If this Washington wins out, then an yeah. undefeated Pac-12 team could knock them out.
1: Yeah, but, I, I I, mean. I, I am going to have faith, Mark, that the committee, the way if I'm looking at this positively, the committee has obviously set this up to favor the Pac-12 champion because Washington sitting at four is going to provide a wonderful opportunity for either Washington to be in the playoff or for Oregon to beat them and validate themselves as one of the top four teams. But I hear what you're saying. You have been uh, you have I'm, been scarred. You have been I, scarred by the history. Yeah, I'm, I'm setting up Oregon as,
3: as, again, being the most shafted national champion, just like 2001 when they didn't get the opportunity to play. Everybody said, well, they wouldn't have beat that Miami team. Well, that Miami team lost to a 17.5 point. Underdog the next year, Ohio State. The same basic team lost in a playoff game. Or division champs. Alabama won back-to-back titles in 2011-2012 without beating anybody else's conference champion. Can you imagine somebody winning the Super Bowl twice without beating anybody else's division winner? It's ridiculous what we've had to tolerate in college football, and I'm just happy to see there's going to be a 12-team playoff. I'm dreaming of Oregon State and Oregon in the first round next year.
1: Well, Washington <laughs> and Oregon both win next week, this weekend, the winner of the Pac-12 championship game should be the three seed. Should be. But let's see how that plays out. He
5: makes a great point, though, because... The Alabama thing is interesting. If Alabama were to beat Georgia, and it's not like, you know, we were talking about Georgia being maybe they're the runaway favorite. They're only a four-point favorite of Alabama. It's not a huge upset if that happens. If Alabama beats Georgia, both those teams have one loss. I have a hard time thinking the committee's not going to put Alabama and Georgia in the college football playoff, and then where does that leave Oregon? Like I think that is the most important game left of the season if you're a Duck fan to try to get into the college football playoff is that Alabama versus Georgia game.
1: The committee's got to be sitting back rooting for Georgia. It has to be. Uh, because they are going to, you know, can you imagine having to sit in that room and go, okay, we have to either leave Oregon out or we have to leave Georgia The out.
5: two-time champions, Georgia. So you got to leave them out? Yeah. I, I just, I couldn't see it.
1: Stay tuned. Jonathan Smith coming up at 520. I just tweeted the college football playoff rankings, which we're talking about. We're talking scenarios. And I know a lot of you out there are scarred by the BCS and watching the Pac-12 get hosed and seeing Oregon as the shafted team that's out there. But the Ducks are sitting in position at number six in the rankings. Washington's moved into the four spot. This is good for Oregon. This is good for Washington. It suggests that the Pac-12 champion's going to be part of the playoff. And I think the Pac-12 champion's probably going to be the number three team. Barring Stephen's nightmare scenario, which is that Alabama knocks off Georgia and creates a problem in the SEC and puts a problem in the middle of the CFP selection committee's lap. Basically, can you really leave out Alabama or Georgia if Alabama beats Georgia? Uh, I'll take some phone calls. We'll uh, We'll play some audio cuts that I've been dying to play on today's show. Jonathan Smith coming up at 520. Anna's in the studio. How you doing, Anna? Good. You doing well?
8: Yeah, we got the turkeys.
1: You got the birds? Are you brining them? Are you brining the birds?
8: I will, but not yet. Why? Why not yet? Because the instructions say for the size of bird not to do it for more than like six hours. What do you mean
1: size of bird?
8: We got two like 13 pounders, 14. Are those turkeys or chickens? They're turkeys. Okay, that
1: qualifies as a turkey. 13 Yes. Yeah. if it's 12 it's i don't think it's a turkey
8: that's not true <laughs> we got dark meat people in the house so we need more drumsticks
1: well i got a couple of great listeners who have slid into my dms with um with some no one's advice. actually
8: saying that anymore you know that
1: <laughs> that with advice for me my dms are open if you had advice for me oh on gosh. the thanksgiving turkey really prep when it comes to the traeger okay and so a couple people are suggesting brine it which you're gonna do yeah yeah and then uh do the do the rub which i have the traeger rub okay for turkeys really and then just traeger it put it in there smoke that bad boy
8: yeah i got both of them fit
1: yeah they'll fit they will yeah i I got the big traeger i don't know if you know this glad you're on it it's out there in the flex uh, area (laughs) I got the big Traeger. I can do multiple multiple turkeys. Doesn't matter the size of the bird. <laughs> kind of, the of a big deal. <laughs> when she said 13 pounds, I was like, oh, I can put four of those in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Traeger. Um, we used to have a contest. What happened? I beat you, I think, two years in a row, and then we stopped doing it. We could still have the contest. I don't think so. I don't need I'll to it. I'll
8: roast it, it traditional no, style. No, it's too much trouble.
1: Just let me cook them both. Okay. You work on the mashed potatoes.
8: I mean, once I won, I didn't really need the bag- bragging rates anymore. I don't
1: know if you so, did. Uh, let's go do to you know this, 10- Steven.
8: We used to compete on whose turkey was better. I feel
1: yeah. like this is a thing between you two. And we yeah, we yeah, would it's... put we would put everybody at our house at who us. visited. <laughs> we would we started inviting randos. <laughs> To come to the house, who had like well, you know that's very decisive You've people. You gotta find impartial judges.
5: Like <laughs> right. you gotta. I mean, yeah. if you just bring all your friends, John, of course you're gonna win. Right. If Anna brings yes. her friends, she's gonna win.
1: You gotta yeah. bring was impartial judges. the ballot box, I got know? pulled over once by a police officer, and I said, "What are you doing for Thanksgiving? We need a uh, we need an impartial stop judge the judge stop the count for the contest." <laughs> uh, I would lobby people year round. Yeah, ask them when they would uh, take them to lunch. You know, do you like salt on your food? How do you like your seasonings? But, like,
8: ultimately we decided, because it got a little contentious, and so ultimately we decided we decided it wasn't very unifying to, like, make people choose between whose turkey. You have to better. decide. You know, it's like everybody left Thanksgiving dinner feeling
1: a little bad. Tears were shed. <laughs> Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Ken in Portland has called in. We do have one line open at 503-417-7575. You want to talk about the playoff rankings. Ken. What do you think?
2: Hey, John. Uh, thoughts. The first thought is my nightmare scenario isn't so much Alabama winning. It's that the Ducks beat the Beavers by three touchdowns or more, and the Beavs drop out of the top 25. Mm. Because we saw what happened to Utah down the road. They, just, they played too heavy of a gauntlet, and they were dropping you know, three to five spots in, in with each And That's my nightmare scenario, because then realistically, the Ducks' only top 25 potential win would be beating Washington.
4: Yeah, the second I... thing
2: that I want to say is, I'm angry. And I'm not angry at the CFP. I'm not angry at the other leagues. I'm angry at the absolute inanity of Pac-12 leadership. Oregon and Washington are good despite our leadership. We have the lowest payout of all the power fives in terms of what we get from our conference. We have we have the most recent conference commissioner that voted against expanding for this year, expanding the playoffs, which potentially could have gotten two of us, or maybe even. We, have, we hired a tennis guy who didn't understand what football meant to this conference, didn't understand the fact that a nine-game conference schedule gave each team an extra loss, or at least half of the teams an extra loss. Why do you think that, that the SEC is doing so well? They they, and the ACC play eight-game conference schedules. They have teams that are ranked higher than what they should be. And we did it to ourselves. And the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, failing and going back and doing it.
1: Yeah, well, the the tennis guy, the Harvard educated tennis player, he he had a he had a sweater tied around his neck, and that was my first sign that he didn't know anything about football. I got to be honest with you, Judgy. You know, I am judgy when it comes to sweaters tied around your neck. Don't do that. So Larry Scott had a problem there. Um, I, I'm not so, I'm not so worried about Oregon State dropping out of the top 25 with a fourth loss. Not if it comes to Oregon because if you look at Oregon State's schedule that you know they'd be eight and four at the end of the season and Clemson's got four losses, Tennessee has four losses, they're at 21 and 24 in the rankings. I think a four-loss Oregon State team that lost to Arizona, Oregon, and Washington could still probably fit it somewhere in the 20s. So, I'm not worried about Oregon losing a top 25 game. And frankly, if you're Oregon you just have to win games, right? Look around. Look at look at the teams that Ohio State, Michigan, and Georgia, and Florida State have played. And, you know, Washington's played a tougher schedule than anybody. And I think Oregon will be able to, at the end of the year, hold up, hey, we played Washington twice, we lost to them by three at their place, and oh, by the way, we beat them in Vegas in the Pac-12 championship game. I think it's going to be enough. But I, I still think, Stephen, you've hit on something with this Alabama-Georgia thing. It's enough. It's enough to make the committee uh, have to sit there and go, we have to choose between Georgia and Oregon, and they're going to pick Georgia. I
5: would have to imagine so, because in that scenario, they can't leave Alabama out, right? Winning the SEC, having one loss, you're not going to leave Alabama out. Their
1: instructions say they can't. The instructions say (laughs) that they're supposed to wait conference championship Games right and so heavily
5: weighted, and so Alabama would have to be in now. Georgia's schedule isn't great; hasn't haven't played many good teams. They played Missouri, who's top ten. So, I I'm with you. I don't know what's going to happen if Alabama were to win that game. I I really think that Georgia would be ahead of Oregon, which would be a shame. Like Oregon deserves to be in it if they win out. But man, if Alabama would beat Georgia, I I, I would find it hard that the College Playoff Committee would put Oregon in there over Georgia or over a thirteen zero Florida State team.
1: Keep an eye. On all of that as it unfolds, Anna, you got the five at five coming up. We got Jonathan Smith coming on the show. I'm going to ask him about the game this weekend. I'm going to ask him about, um, you know, the coaching carousel and his name surfacing in some reports. It's, you know, it's not going to be um, an easy conversation, but it's a necessary one. Dan Lanning, we had to have that conversation with Dan Lanning, and he had it with reporters. He shot him down as well. But the coaches are uh, are busy talking. Dan Lanning talking about Oregon State and whether or not he'd want to play Oregon State in the future.
3: Yeah, I think you know games like this are really important, and it would be great if that's something we could, can make happen and continue to make happen. I know everybody on our, our end would love to see that continue.
1: Dan Lanning, here's Jonathan Smith on the same topic.
3: Yeah, I, I, you know, we got great leadership
0: here. They know what's best for this university, and there, it's a complicated issue deciding and all of that. I support Scott and what what this university decides.
1: Well, there you go. Uh, I think they're going to play. I wrote it today at johnkanzano.com if you want to read more about it, but I think they are going to play. I think they will uh, do what Washington State and Washington have done and decide, hey, this game is mutually beneficial. And, oh, by the way, there's this, there's a, There's a tangible um, uh, positive for the state when it comes to economics, and there's an intangible that is positive, that this means something in the state of Oregon. It should mean something in the state of Washington, these rivalry games.
8: I thought Jonathan Smith's response there was really interesting. It was very diplomatic. Because he wasn't necessarily saying, hey, we should play this Civil War. He was simply saying, like, hey, I support whatever, you know, Scott Barnes thinks. Well, he
1: had a little more.
0: I, uh, You know, that's not for me to decide. I think that it's been a long history of a series that um, uh, has been good for the, for the state itself, I think, for both programs. And so if it can work out, I think that would be a good thing.
1: So he's just – he's essentially saying, you know, I'm not going to tell you what kind of gas to buy. I'm just going to pump it. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Uh, why, why do you find that interesting?
8: Because just, I mean, hearing those sound bites back to back with Lanning and Smith, Lanning was really like full bore about saying, "Hey, this should happen." Well, and Smith was a little bit
1: more, you know. I'm gonna ask about it. You, I'll press him harder on it coming up. This week is already out of rhythm. It is. We should be playing uh, Fun Factor not. Last hour we should have done it. Oh. It's out of rhythm because the the week's crunched down. Normally, Jonathan Smith comes on Wednesdays. Well, today he'll be here on a Tuesday because today's Tuesday. (laughs) So coming up in 20 minutes, Jonathan Smith will be joining us, Oregon State football coach. Dan Lanning joins us on Thursdays, but he'll be with us on Wednesdays this week. So we'll talk turkeys with Dan Lanning tomorrow. Both coaches, one show right here. We got you covered. You don't need anything else. Okay, What more do you want on Rivalry Week in the state of Oregon in southwest Washington? I'm not leaving you out. Anna's here for the 5 at 5. She's going to give us the five most important and critical stories involving turkeys. Are you ready?
8: No turkeys in this 5 at
1: 5. No? No. Get to pep it up. Let's pep it up. Come on. Are you feeling a little Thanksgiving week um, malaise? what's going on malaise. are you in a malaise or, you know <laughs> no come on now we gotta pick up the energy some jumping jacks uh-huh you know i'm
8: really energetic on the inside
1: are you yeah okay and let's find out anna's energy fueled five at five here we go steven let's do it
3: the five at five
1: number one
8: and it's back uh, the first thing we need to untangle is this whole Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo thing. So worldwide excitement when it was announced um, that they would or could take the pitch together again next year in opposing, on opposing teams in Saudi Arabia. Uh, so like that news was like breaking news. Soccer fans worldwide flipped out and said, yeah. oh, it's going to be the last dance. We finally get to see who's the best. Well, Inter Miami is refuting that announcement no, that really. it will play in Saudi Arabia. Hmm. So they're saying it's inaccurate, that the release included statements attributed to the team owner, but he's made no comments publicly or privately. And uh, so it's a little messy.
1: Inaccurate so report. It was, was it hopeful then? People were hopeful that this was going to happen, and apparently the release included statements attributed to the team that the team hasn't made. Yeah, so isn't that interesting? Just wishful thinking
8: but I, or I, more to it? I think some of it has to do with the concern about Saudi Arabia and the mm-hmm. concerns about sports washing and, and whether Inter-Miami wants to participate in that
1: great this is like boxing where you know we always wanted to see the best boxers couldn't get them together now you can't get the same soccer players out there for one more time last dance not happening is it happening i don't know number two moving on um kim mulkey
8: not saying much angel reese misses another game Mm. And all Kim Mulkey will say is, sometimes you want to know more than you're entitled to know. I'm always going to protect my players. Now, she does say, if you do some disciplining of your own children, do you think we're entitled to know that? Ah. So I think there's a little tip of a cap there, like, to, you know, what is actually happening. But the the situation's a little bit um, tangly. I mean, some of the talk is that there is a grades issue with angel reese there's another team mom like the mother of a a fellow player was calling out the idea that she's got a 2.0 gpa so i don't know you know not great when the moms are
1: involved on social media mulkey is uh saying that you know there, it, she has sort of alluded to it being a disciplinary locker room issue, mm-hmm. saying in previous years she's had to deal with locker room issues. It's part of coaching. Angel Reese tweeting out, um, don't believe everything you read. You know?
8: Yeah, and she shared, like, a really long... Statement from Deion Sanders from a whole different situation where it's basically like he's talking about not caring what people say, not caring about what other people's opinion is of him and that sort of thing.
1: Well, way. I look, I, I I I hate to say this, but I'm gonna go back to last year's national championship game in the women's final.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: I don't care if you loved what Angel Reese did or hated what Angel Reese did. It became a big debate. Remember? We yeah, did yeah. like multiple days of shows like, "Oh, was she right? Was she wrong?" You know, does she have a right to do this? Do we like trash talking all that? I I'm just going to say this. What is happening in that moment, like in the best moment for LSU basketball was controversial and it had a lot of heat around it. I can't think that that switch gets flipped off. All off season as Angel Reese is building an NIL empire mm-hmm. and building a social media following that in a brand that's becoming bigger than anything else in the LSU locker room. Mm -hmm. And then she comes back in, and now there's problems? Is anybody surprised by this? Like, I I think we're watching athletes do new things and become bigger in some cases than the the team Mm -hmm. itself. We're always talking about players who want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. I think Angel Reese is trying to figure out if she still wants to be part of something bigger than Angel Reese. And, I, and I'm and i not saying what she did was right or wrong. I'm just saying I kind of think this is what Kim Mulkey's dealing with. And but by the way, Kim Mulkey's kind of a big personality. You think? I And I'm just, I think this should be a reality show. <laughs> like, USC football had a, re, had a documentary crew that was following them around all year.
8: Yeah.
1: Like, that's the documentary I want to see. Mm -hmm. Like, what the hell went wrong at USC, and how bad was it? They're never going to show it. Mm -hmm. But LSU and Kim Mulkey, they should have a little doc crew behind the scenes. I'd love to see that conversation with Angel Reese and Kim Mulkey where she says, you're not suiting up, you know? Yeah.
2: Number three.
8: Uh, Well, congratulations, Eagles and Cowboys fans. You've been voted the most annoying by NFL players. Oh, boy described as loud, rude, and obnoxious. This was a survey conducted by The Athletic. Those two teams received the most votes among the players who responded. Uh, They said, you know, the Philly crowd will swear they're the biggest football group gurus on Earth. Philly fans do kind of have a reputation, don't they? Yeah. In 1968, they threw snowballs at Santa Claus. They booed
1: Santa. (laughs)
8: Who throws snowballs yeah. at Santa Claus? You bum,
1: get out of here. <laughs> uh,
8: yeah, so the Eagles came out slightly ahead, followed closely by the Cowboys. I'm
1: not surprised by any of that. Cowboys are kind of obnoxious anyway. If you're a Cowboys fan, you love the Cowboys. But if you're not a Cowboys fan, you hate the Cowboys. There's no in-between. Few teams do that to people, like the Cowboys, the Yankees. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't root for the Cowboys. You can't root for U.S. Steel.
8: <laughs> the honorable mentions were Buffalo Bills and New York Jets.
1: Eh, I don't know. I don't find the Bills. I guess the Bills fans. I, it's hard to tell these days, you know, because you see a lot of people fighting. But are, do you think they're pandering to that to the New York market by picking the Bills and the Jets as the next two fan bases?
8: Well, those guys were way down the list. Like it was heavily Eagles and Cowboys, and Bill, Buffalo Bills and Jets fans were like way down low. Hmm. So I don't know. Number four. Hmm. Uh, Colts owner Jim Ursay says he was profiled by police in Carmel, California for being a rich white billionaire.
1: <laughs> he said this
8: in an interview on Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel. That show is still on? I didn't it's know wrapping that was up. still on. It's it is. Up, it, it, yeah. yeah, they're finishing up, right? Well, he did this wide-ranging interview with Andrea Kramer, who is, I think, pretty good at what she does. She was with him for six days. He talks all about, like, substance abuse, about a girlfriend who died from a drug overdose, but also how he got pulled over once in Carmel. He was incapable of, like, walking the straight line and was doped up on prescription medications, but claims that he was just a few hours out of back surgery. So he was profiled.
4: Mm,
1: poor like, guy.
8: You know, and for his being Lamborghini. White.
1: And his Lamborghini and Carmel. He got, in you know, he's <laughs> down there uh, down there by the Steinbeck Center. He said this with know? a
5: serious face or not? Or was
1: he, he did.
8: It- no, 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 no. <laughs> Ernest. Like his exact words were, I am prejudiced against because I am a rich white billionaire. If I'm just the average guy down the block, they're not pulling me in. Of course not. In Carmel, in Carmel,
1: <laughs> I've been to Carmel.
8: <laughs> That's what makes it so funny. Yeah, too.
1: <laughs> he was uh, cruising around that uh, drive there in Carmel, right off the uh, right where Pebble Beach is, yeah. in his Lambo, and he got profiled. for poor, poor sob. Feel <laughs> bad for him. Uh,
8: yeah, I know.
1: Somebody pulled up and offered him gray poupon. <laughs> you know,
8: number five. Oh. All right. This one I'm just throwing in there because I'm entertained by it. Bryce Canyon. Or, I'm sorry. Bryce James. So
1: Okay, Bronnie's yeah, Yeah,
8: Bronnie's brother. younger brother. Yeah. He's transferring back to Sierra Canyon. Why not? Like, he was all ready to go. He had started his fall semester at Notre Dame in Sherman Oaks in Southern California. Um, but he's going back to the school where he's played his freshman and sophomore years and he will be conveniently immediately eligible when the season begins november 23rd he's got to get 13th. cleared
1: he's still got to get cleared 13th. by the cif california interscholastic federation i think yeah but, but
8: I, it's apparently all green yeah. lights all well, green lights since well, he gotta was go already, home. yeah gotta go home yeah
1: so they, but they have a rule there in the southern section where you can do a little bit of you know, back and forth.
8: Well, yeah, when he transferred to Notre Dame, he was ruled ineligible for half the season because of the transfer rules. But yeah. because he's going back to the school where he yeah. played as freshman and sophomore. And he year,
1: didn't play in any games at Notre and Dame. And he didn't play in yeah. any
8: Notre, like, regular season games. So
1: he can go back. Yeah. Because he was originally eligible there. <laughs> so the rule is you were eligible there, you left, therefore if you want to go back, you're eligible again. I don't think he could go to a different school. Yeah. Is he even playing varsity?
8: He split time between JV and varsity at Sierra Canyon. He had 3.8 points per game in 12 varsity appearances as are, a sophomore. How
1: many how many JV players are getting talked about on this show in 18, 17, 18 years? I don't think we've ever talked about a junior varsity basketball player before.
8: But talk about a reality show. Like, what? You know, can you imagine? He might can be my imagine? favorite
1: James. Really? Yeah. Why? Uh, you know what? He's wearing goggles when he's playing basketball. I like that. <laughs> the goggles. Is he your favorite, James Steven? Uh, uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess he
5: would be. I mean,
1: I, don't I put know. him in. I put him in front of LeBron. I put him in front of Bronny. And I, mean, I put I him in front like of Bronny. Rick James.
5: I, like, <laughs> I do like. I like Bronny just because you know he had the health scare, and now he's healthy. So that makes me like him a little bit.
1: But the little brother. We're wearing goggles on the basketball court playing JV, and everybody's talking about his transfer. He played part-time on the JV, part-time on the varsity. That's why I don't like him. (laughs) It's not his fault. Are we sure? I don't know. Of all the James kids, I I think he's my favorite. You know I think uh, that's a guy I'm going to root for, get behind. I hope he does well.
8: You know who's going to be the scrappy one is that little sister. There's a little sister there, (laughs) so there's the two brothers and that little sister, I hope she plays sports. She'll she's dominate. Gonna, yeah, she'll be all over.
1: Because she's grown up in it. Yeah. She's going to be a killer. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, that's good stuff, Anna. You're going to brine the turkeys now. Five at five. So when is it? Five at five's done. Yeah. When is it? When's the time? Like your target date, target minute to have the turkeys brining?
8: Well, see, I don't know. I read the brining instructions, and it said do it for only about six hours. So... Oh. what Like, that's tomorrow. That doesn't seem... I was all set to brine it today, because I usually can brine, you brine it for like three days before. Can you brine
1: too soon?
8: I, I think you can, right? You, because you then should the brine,
5: one, brine one and not brine the other, see which one's better. Oh.
1: Is it possible to over-brine your meat? brine kits. You know? <laughs> can you over-brine your meat? i got to ask him for a friend. Do you get a salty turkey out of that? Yeah. You know? I know. Uh, i got to... we got to find out. It, it says... You can do uh, two to three days ahead of time, uh-huh. but is it safe? Do not brine longer than two days is what Google says.
8: There you go. So. Okay. Google
1: Google Tuesday. also says I need to go to the ER <laughs> based on my symptoms. Yeah. If I'm asking about a brine turkey, <laughs> go immediately to the ER, it says.
8: Oh, we've done that before. Yeah. All
1: right. So, uh, you know, you want to saturate the bird. I know. You know? You what? got really excited today. You're
8: like, do you need the injector? I'm like... I don't think so.
1: <laughs> well, for best results, you need to turn the turkey every six to eight hours so it brines evenly. You right. Know, don't leave the turkey in brine longer than recommended. Yeah. You know, um, you obviously need to keep it in the fridge. Yeah. For people wondering, you do not put the turkey out at room temperature. Oh, it's a good God. way to get your uh, die. Thanksgiving not I don't happy. Die. But um, is 48 hours too long? Mm.
8: I just think it's kind of silly. It's like the one time of year we cook turkey and then we all have to be an expert on it. And the expectations
1: are quite high. And and the year's time is just enough to forget. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) If we did this every three months, (laughs) we would all know. How long to cook the turkey, when to brine it, when to thaw it. We would know exactly what to do. But because it's three hundred and sixty five days, yeah. we just like around three hundred days we just forget it all. And we're like, I have no recollection of even doing this a year ago.
8: Right. I know. <laughs> like, exactly. It's just wiped.
1: There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Jonathan Smith coming up, Oregon State football coach. Leave it here. I was at Research Stadium last Saturday night. It was wet. It was a dark and stormy night. It's a great football game. I would like to see that game played again. I'm sure our next guest would like to see it played again. He's probably watched film of it. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, is joining us now. Um, i got to ask you, so I, I left the stadium pretty late, and I kind of wondered, how late do you leave the stadium after a game like Saturday night?
0: Yeah, it took me a while. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, with you, you, know, you got some odds and ends to do. Obviously, talk to your team, get around so many players, to, uh, the press conference, right? And then for me to be able to just kind of digest that one took me took me a while. I get I, our players appreciate the effort. Um, you know that game. The strategy, the style of game we wanted to play, we did that in regards to you know time of possession, tried to limit yeah. the opportunities for that offense. Um, had opportunities twice. We got the ball twice in the fourth quarter, with a chance to take a lead, uh, and then you know we just we didn't get it done. At the same time, I we'll give UW some credit. It's a good football team, man. They know how to win. Uh, there's no panic in the, that group. We, you know, gave it a shot, and they were able to answer each time.
1: If I had told you that your defense would give up 20 points, i got to think you would have felt pretty good about winning that game.
0: Yeah, I mean, they did. They played really well. And even out of that 20, you know, we gave them great field precision uh, twice. And one time the defense holds about to get no points, and then, yeah, one time you yeah. practically gave them the ball in the red zone they punched that in. So it was a performance on that side that gave us a great chance. Um, and then, you know, we just got to be able to score. We had some effective things going in the run game early. Um but didn't finish the deal.
1: Damian Martinez was cooking, man. I, I just love the way he was running. Your offensive line was doing a number. That first possession of the second half, you guys, you know, you were Oregon State in that moment. What What's happening when we're seeing that?
0: Well, yeah, it's a group effort. Damian, yeah, making it physical, yeah, patient, vision, finishing runs, getting to the next level, and it starts up front with those guys creating some space for him to go. Um, yeah, I, I think our offense does get some confidence going when it run game's going and action pass in the first half was a struggle. I, it was worse than I thought it was going to be rain-wise. I mean, it started coming yeah. down. I actually, I'll give both quarterbacks some credit. I actually threw, think they threw it okay in that environment. It was just even touch to, tough to catch it. It was tough to hold on to it. Um, and that's how it, you know, the second half weather-wise was fine. You know, it got light and then there was really yeah. no rain. Um and there's not enough points getting scored in the second half.
1: I kind of wondered at the beginning of the game if you were going to take the ball when you won the toss because I thought it's only going to get wetter. But it ended up being the right call because you you held the ball for the entire second half. I don't think they had the ball for more than, it felt like two minutes you know, in the second yeah. half. And it, So it ended up being the right call. But did you give any thought to that? Like, hey, it's going to be wet. You know, What time will it start raining? Do we want to give Penix the first drive or the first drive of the second half? What went into that?
0: Yeah, you think about it. I, I, me, I always lean, especially at home, you know, a crowd, the energy to start the game uh, of, you know, deferring, kicking off. Hopefully you're, you're counting on that you got to go a long field, which they ended up doing because they're that good. Uh, but that was the logic of wanting to defer, and we've done that majority of the season. Um, not that we're shy. I mean, we have started a couple games with the ball and, and ended up scoring. I, I go back to always liking starting with the ball in the second half after you digest the first half, make some adjustments, and then you you get the first possession.
1: Jonathan Smith is with us. Um, you know, there's been some talk this week. Uh, obviously, Oregon's trying to create an opening, play you guys moving forward. I know that's a decision that, that happens, you know, in the administrative side of things with you guys. But Scott Barnes comes to you and says, hey, Jonathan, you know, do you want to play Oregon in a non-conference game? Do you want to play Power 5 games at home? What do you say to that?
0: Yeah, you want to play Power 5 games at home. Uh, there's a lot of logistics that go into it. You want to play a competitive schedule, um, those type of things. And and so there's a lot for those, you know, Scott and, and whoever else on the other side to sort out uh, changing schedules, in particular to Oregon. But in, just in general, I think, uh, yeah, we want to play Power 5 games and get them at home the next few years.
1: This um, this game coming up Friday is, is big. Uh, I'm sure they look, lights out on film, but what do you see them doing offensively? And, uh, you know, uh, I gotta know if, is it Bo Nix? Is it Bucky Irving? Wh- what starts, what do we start with on their offense?
0: Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's tough to say exactly who to start with, because they do. They got multiple guys that are making big-time impacts. I mean, the quarterback, just the command he plays with, uh, understanding what they're trying to do, get him in and out of plays, the tempo part, accurate, doesn't make bad choices with the ball but they do got a potent run game and so you complement that balance of pass to run bucky irving's a big time player and they got more guys than just one carrying the ball troy franklin on the outside along with others i mean they they just got a lot it's a lot to defend similar i will say the offense we just played i, I was saying something similar about you dub um, I think Oregon's run game probably a little bit more consistent and been there longer throughout the season but outside of that you know this is a really good offense
1: the uh, civil war memories that you have as a player um what do you remember what comes to mind
0: yeah oh, yeah as a player I mean 98 go to double overtime and find a way to win it uh, at at the time it's called Parker Stadium that was um, that was special uh, at home junior year 2000 I think both teams are in like the top I don't know five top of eight. Uh, opportunity to win the conference title and, and find a way to get that done. Definitely got memories down in Austin Stadium, though. Never able to win there as a player, uh, both times. Um, and so it's a tough place to play.
1: Can you can you take anything from last year's game and apply it to this game? And you know, meaning, do you look back at film from last year, or do you have to strictly focus on who they are now? New coordinator, some different personnel.
0: Yeah, you look at it all. I mean, last year there's differences. Like you said, the offensive coordinator is different. Um, I think you learn from last year. You got to play four four quarters. Uh, you yeah. you definitely learn. You need to be able to start the second half better. I mean, we dug ourselves a big time hole, um, but did kept on battling and, and found a way at the end. And so we we do. We want to play a complete game, first quarter to fourth quarter. But you do win the thing in the fourth.
1: Uh, you guys, health wise, how'd you come out of the Washington game?
0: Yeah, uh, bumps and bruises here and there. I mean, it was good to see uh, Levengood out there was able to play and and sustain the whole time. Got banged up in the secondary a little bit. Jaden Robinson, um, we'll see where he ends up this week, kind of 50-50 on that. Uh, That's another thing about that game. I mean, we we got two true freshman corners that played pretty much the entire second half, Um, and they held up great. Akeely Arnold uh, got banged. We'll kind of see here in the next couple of days on his availability. Um, And, again, I'm not – Making any, any type of "woe is me" type thing. Everybody's dealing with stuff at, going into Game Twelve, but that's just kind of where we're at.
1: If I'm Oregon, I'm looking back at you know some of the stuff Michael Penix Jr. and uh, you know number one out there we're doing, and I'm going, okay, you've got Troy Franklin, Bo Nix, uh, you know Tez Johnson, you know should be uh, should put a lot of pressure on your corners. Does does that experience against Penix in Washington give those guys? valuable reps that they can now use a week later? I mean, can there be an acceleration when you get in a game like that?
0: Yeah, hopefully it builds some confidence that, you know, they can go to toe-to-toe, best passing offense in the country. Um, and, again, you're just following it up six days later with another potent offense just as good. And, and so, yeah, what we put out on tape, we've got to be able to adjust. How are they going to attack us? But for our players, I think there should be on the defensive side some confidence that we can play at a really high level against a really good good offense.
1: I was talking about movies earlier and how basketball coaches don't necessarily like their assistant coaches to be good golfers because it means they you know they're playing golf instead of recruiting. But um, you you're, are you a movie guy? Do you have do you have a go to? Do you have a top few movies you like?
0: Yeah, I got a, a, a top few. I don't watch a bunch of movies, but um, I like Spy Game. Uh, mm-hmm. Argo, Lincoln is okay. a favorite of mine, Godfather is a favorite of mine, Okay, off the top well, of my head.
1: I'm making a list here of movies I need to watch, Jonathan Smith's movie list. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a bunch of uh, reports about you know Jonathan Smith interviewing here, or this job interviewing with you, or who's interested in hiring Jonathan Smith away. What do you say to Oregon State fans who are nervous about losing you?
0: Yeah, I think they can be confident, completely focused on the task at hand. Uh, confident that we're, you know, battling it week in and week out, and that it has not changed, there hasn't been some distraction on that. I think it's known what this place is, means, and, and what I've done, and been around here, and I think that speaks for itself.
1: Does, does that mean that you have not had contact with those schools, or your agent hasn't, or you know, people were worried, they keep asking me, is he leaving, is he leaving, yeah. and I said, it's not his style.
0: Yeah, well, I, I'm not trying to be sarcastic here, it's like, yeah. I've got an agent that's got a job. He best be finding out what what is out there and, and people calling. in, right. I mean, that's how that works. I can tell you from his his side, he best be working, just because I'm paying him so much, right? They get a percentage of <laughs> I'm making him a couple million bucks, right? Right.
3: <laughs> I mean, right.
0: so I'm not trying to be sarcastic. So, right? And I think any coach, they're aware of what's potentially out there through if they're if their agent's doing their job. And again, I'm not trying to. would have dodged the question or anything, but I'm also trying to be truthful here of how this thing works.
1: Yeah, well, I would expect you've had success, and, you know, people are going to poke around and want to talk to your agent about what's going on, and then I'm also trying to think, like, the uncertainty, how does that weigh on your decision, you know, how loyal you stay, or do you stay at Oregon State, you know, and obviously there's a game going to be played this weekend, but you know, how, how committed are you to the future at Oregon State right now?
0: Yeah, the uncertainty part, I will say, I grow more and more confident. Every time I talk to Scott in regards to, like, hey, this is how the plan we're going to operate to continue to fund at the Power 5 level, uh, the scheduling, trying to create a schedule that works in regards to being competitive. Um, and that's not an easy task. You know the the situation us in Washington State are in, but my confidence grows. Listen to Scott more and more on the plan to fund it at the same level and how we're going to get that done. Same thing on the president's side, talking about again, a, a commitment to expand on what they'll support athletically. I mean, so my confidence grows on that end.
1: All right. Uh, you know, I don't mean putting you on the spot, but I you know people are asking me, I've got a job to do, and I just want to make sure that, I ask you the question. And so, you know, at this point, what do you need to hear from Oregon State to say, you know, I'm on board? Have they put a contract in front of you? Do you have an extension on, on your desk? You know, where does that stand?
0: Right, you know, there's been uh, conversations. I mean, some of the for me individually on my contract, because we've won the amount of games we have, I've already got an automatic extension, and so I'm sitting on another six years. And so, that yeah. part is not as critical. The, the big piece is just not about me, right? I think I got we got a big time staff here, and they're. Right. Just not about me or the insecurity or uncertainty. Well, we've got a staff here the same way, players, same way. We want to continue to fund it, support it. So we operate like a power five level. All
1: right. Uh, this weekend, you're going to have a big game and then the, the focus will then turn to your players. Um, how soon after Friday's game will you start meeting with guys and talking about the future?
0: Yeah, we'll get to it pretty quickly. I mean, we're headed into the weekend, but next week is dead in regards to recruiting. So the coaches can't travel, we'll get opportunity to get with those guys, face to face, digest the season. Hopefully, continue to get more and more information on what the you know schedule looks like next year. Remind them on the Power Five funding and what the approach is, and the, what's not changing around here in Corvallis. So all that'll take place next week.
1: All right, um, you know this team this season it's you know you i was looking back at the losses it's three losses by eight points there's no moral victories but this is a team that has competed and you know after all the guys you lost what does that say about this group and and you know how are you feeling about this team this journey this season
0: right you know we we definitely when the thing wraps up we look we'll take a deep dive looking back at it I do I like this team in regards to how they compete I think guys have grown I've seen an improvement from week one now to whatever we're in week 12 all of that Tough, tight losses are tough and th- these games are going to be tight I do think this current schedule this year the conference itself has been you know a step up just to how many good teams there are in this league um, and we're running into back to back really good ones so um, I like this team and yeah we would love to come up on the right side, a couple more times, but we got one more opportunity. All
1: right, I, uh, I, it's a lot of fun to cover you guys. You play hard, you know. I, I've seen these teams that you're that you're getting beat by, or you know, obviously sniffing around a college football playoff ranking. You guys are there, um, and that's got to feel really good to you and affirming to you. But you have a big one on Friday. Good luck to you, coach, on Friday.
0: I appreciate it, John. All
1: right, take care. There he is, Jonathan Smith. Oregon State football coach, um, you know, you heard it there. I I, I really want to know your reaction to what you just heard. And Smith, as I ask him about the future, his agent, I love that he's candid in saying he's got an agent who has a job to do. Jimmy Sexton is his agent. Like a lot of coaches, I think are going to sit back and go, "Oh no, no, I haven't." You know, my agent better be talking to people. My ed- my agent better be doing things. I'm out there. He's making money on me, you know. So I like that. Jonathan Smith is being earnest about it. I also think some people are going to freak out when they hear that audio. I think they're going to freak out because I think they're going to believe and think and hear um, all sorts of things from Jonathan Smith. I. I think it'll be really interesting to see if anyone comes after him, if jobs are offered. I think it'll be um, totally fascinating to kind of watch how that unfolds. Um, uh, I think uh, also, Stephen, you know, and I got to know what you thought of that. Anna, you were sitting here kind of eavesdropping on that conversation in the studio as well. As you heard Jonathan Smith talk about that, you know, what did you make of his comments?
5: Well, man, I uh, it really sounded like a guy that may be looking uh, elsewhere, and, and it, you know I hope not because I want him to stay at Oregon State. I, I've, you know, I'm pulling audio as it is right now. Yeah, this was this was him talking about it, and you asked him, you know, how confident fans should be. He deflected and said, "You should be confident because at the at the task at hand." Here, here's that sound.
0: Yeah, I think they can be confident, completely focused on the task at hand. Uh, confident that we're, you know, battling it week in and week out and that it has not changed. There has not been some distraction on that. I think it's known what this place is, means and, and what I've done and been around here, and I think that speaks for itself. Like
5: I, I, That sounds like a guy who says, you know what, I love Oregon State, but right now the task at hand is Oregon, and then the task at hand is me kind of, you know, figuring Exploring out Exploring what else is out yeah, there. what's next. Yeah. so yeah. Um, that was my takeaway from it. I, you know, I I, I looked at Judah. I said that that doesn't make me confident that I'm an Oregon State fan.
8: Yeah, and like in his defense, like if you're Jonathan Smith, okay, and I I don't know why Damian Lillard comes to mind because it's like people adore Damian Lillard because it was as if he said he was you know Portland trailblazer for life until he wasn't. If you're Jonathan Smith, any reasonable person in his position yeah. that has done what he has done at Oregon State is willing to have some conversations. Like I don't know yeah. what his long-term goal is. You know, does he want to coach in the NFL? Does he want to go to a, a you know different caliber university head coaching position? I don't know what that looks like for him. Yeah. What his dream? Well, is, I
1: think but. he's look on one hand. I'm going to applaud the fact that he was candid.
8: Yeah, and he's I appreciate
1: He's very that. honest, and that I respect that. It, I also think he's being honest when he says, I've got an agent. That's his job. I also think he is focused on this Oregon game. Yeah, yeah. It would make me nervous if I'm Oregon State, but I've got to think that Scott Barnes, as he is talking with Jonathan Smith on a daily basis, is well aware of everything that we just heard and then some. And so I think if you're Oregon State, you you know, this isn't about... Now, Jonathan made a comment too late in that interview uh, when I said, you know, what is it about or what could keep you at Oregon State? And he started talking about it being bigger than himself. I do think he is the kind of coach who looks at his staff and says, okay, these guys all need to be taken care of if I'm going to stay here. And he got his extension. He points out that he gets the automatic extension for winning... Um, All those games, yeah. Um, you know, so I think um, I think it's really interesting. Here's the comment he made about his agent. Is is that mean that you have not had contact with those schools or your agent hasn't or, you know, people were worried. They keep asking me, is he leaving? Is he leaving? I said, it's not his style.
0: Yeah. Well, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. It's like, yeah. I've got an agent that's got a job. He best be finding out what, what is out there and, and people calling in Right. I mean, that's how that works. I can tell you from his, his side, he best be working just because I'm paying him so much. Right. They get a percentage of <laughs> I'm making a couple million bucks. Right?
3: <laughs> I mean, right.
0: so I'm not trying to be sarcastic. So, right. and I think any coach, they're aware of what's potentially out there through if, they're, if their agent's doing their job. And, again, I'm not trying to dodge the question or anything, but I'm also trying to be truthful here yeah. of how this thing
1: works. Yeah, how There it is. What, what do you hear, Anna?
8: Um, I hear somebody who's really earnest, you know, who's just calling it like it is. I don't think he's trying to be dodgy. I think he's trying. To, he's appealing to the conventional wisdom in all of us that, yeah, He's in a high-profile position. There are other positions that are open.
1: Does it mean he's leaving?
8: No, I don't know necessarily. That's a leap.
1: That's another leap. That's a leap. Yeah. Yeah. But I think he's not going to be the kind of coach who's going, hey, I've got a team ranked in the top 16. The whole world knows this team is not going to be part of Power 5 Conference football next year. Power 5 jobs that are coming open are definitely going to be talking with his agent, Jimmy Sexton, and going, hey, um... What else is out there?
8: Because he would be stupid not to. Like, I, you know, I feel bad saying that. I know there's a lot of Beavers fans that will be disappointed, but anybody knows yeah. that. Anybody can understand that if he's he's in the position that he's in, he almost has to be yeah. having some conversations.
1: Well, there you go. And we'll see if Oregon State and Scott Barnes can do what's necessary to retain him. Civil War football game Friday. Dan Lanning, Oregon coach, will be on tomorrow's show. Lanning handled the questions about his job a little differently earlier in the season saying you know this is my place you know this is where i'm going to be this is you know he just kind of like shut it down i don't think jonathan smith shut it down today on that interview but we'll see i also think he was very honest and you know i respect that as well uh coming up we'll talk about uh civil war digging up yeah digging up a, a controversy in the civil war 127th meeting between these two teams taking place on Friday. Again, Dan Landing on tomorrow's show, Oregon coach. Jonathan Smith, you just heard him, we will have both coaches in one place, one-stop shop, so to speak. Not home of the Ducks, not home of the Beavers, just home of the truth, as I say. All right, so coming up, we'll talk about something that needs to be put to rest, or does it? Doesn't. The Civil War rivalry. There's no game scheduled in 2024. No game scheduled in 2025. Is this the final meeting between the Ducks and the Beavers, or will, they, will all those bad feelings be thawed uh, over uh, the weekend, and we'll get some good news? We'll find out. Well, I wrote today at johnkanzano.com about uh, Billy Eagles. I've been waiting for, for a long time to write about Billy Eagles. If you don't know who I'm talking about, um, go to johnkanzano.com and check out the column today. At the center of the Pac-12's Civil War rivalry is one Billy Eagles, who is buried in a cemetery in Albany alongside his wife, Amy. Now, Billy and Amy um, hold in a, uh, an important place in the Civil War rivalry. They uh, were not only married, and not only did Amy's brother serve as uh, as the head football coach at Oregon State, they're a big part of the reason why the rivalry continued after a really bad, really ugly brawl in 1910. The 1910 game ended in Corvallis with uh, a brawl in downtown Corvallis that a bunch of Duck fans were trying to get on the train to get back to Eugene, a bunch of Beaver fans, either uh, depending on what re- what report you read, they were either a bunch of hooligans or... They were unfairly characterized, but apparently ears of corn were thrown. People were beat up. It was classified as a riot, air quotes there, in the newspapers uh, afterwards. And in in 1911, uh, Oregon State's student body voted to not play the game. In fact, they voted not to have anything to do with the Ducks at all. They didn't want uh, any student activity that had any kind of connection to the Oregon Ducks. They were done with each other. The Ducks and the Beavers were done, 1911. But Billy Eagles didn't see it that way, neither did Amy. And neither did Amy's brother, who happened to be the football coach at Oregon State. And uh, for people who don't know, Sam Dolan played football at Notre Dame and then uh, graduated in 1909, and in 1911 he becomes Oregon State's head football coach. And they had games against Washington State, and they had a game against Willamette, and they had a game against um, uh, Multnomah, and they had a game against uh, you know, Washington. And so what they didn't have was a game against their rival in the state. Now, Billy Eagles and his wife decided to do something about that. They negotiated a truce between the two schools in front of the 1912 season. They hatched a plan that on November the 23rd, 1912, Oregon State and Oregon would play again. Now, they didn't play in 1911. Everybody thought they were done. Just like now, right? Everyone's going, oh, they're done. They'll never play again. Well, they hatched a plan to play that game. Carpenters scrambled. They built a grandstand in Albany, neutral site game, uh, at what, what became known as Hudson Field. Police officers ushered students and fans and players into the stadium. Nobody was allowed to congregate in downtown Albany before or after the game. They were trying to avoid a riot. The Ducks won the game 3-zip in front of 7,000 delighted fans. There were no altercations. There was no riot. Nobody threw an Iroquois. The rivalry was back on. So I'm. I wrote today, and you know, I'm kind of looking around now. I'm looking around and asking, asking you, and maybe asking myself. You know, where's we need another Billy Eagles? We need an Amy Eagles. We need a Sam Dolan. Is there a Sam Dolan out there? I can't decide if it's the athletic directors at the schools, if it's the university presidents. I can't decide if it's you or me. Maybe it's the college football schedule makers. Maybe it's the folks at Boise State. But the Civil War needs to be played. I said it yesterday. Uh, call me a Civil War monger if you must. But I, I think this game needs to live on, not because of the, just the simple regionality of it, not because it gives both of these teams a valuable home game, Because it's part of the fabric of our state. It's, you know, that cemetery in Albany that's got the headstone of Billy and Amy Eagles. It's just a headstone, right? we, We always try to simplify the lives of people. Happens all the time. Somebody dies. We say, well, they were born. This is what they did. They got married. They had kids. This is where they went to school. Maybe one thing about their professional life. Then we say, you know, at the age of 86, or whatever we say. Um, but you're you're so much more than that. Billy Eagles and Amy Eagles, so much more than that. And, uh, you know, this week we talked to Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State coach, on today's show. We're going to talk to Dan Lanning, Oregon coach, on tomorrow's show. I would like to see these cats play each other with some kind of regularity. This should not be the end of a rivalry. Like, I understand in 1943 and 1944, there were a lot of teams that didn't play football. There was a war going on. All right? I understand that. Like, you know, there were bigger things going on than college football, 1943, 1944. And 1911, I even understand that. There were some harsh feelings at Oregon State. You know, the Oregon State fans were upset about, they weren't upset about the riot. They were upset about the fact that they believed that the university had planted stories with the media in the wake of the riot, blaming... An unfairly characterizing Oregon State. It was going on back then. Wag the dog. All of that. Planting story Smear campaign. So Oregon State didn't want anything to do with Oregon. Well, a cigar manufacturer named Billy Eagles and his wife Amy helped that truce become a thing. Helped get the Civil War back on track. I think we could all find it in ourselves to maybe try to find a way back to this right. Yes, I know there's bad feelings. I know a lot of you are yelling at your radios right now saying, Canzano, I don't agree with you. How can they do this? Oregon, jilted Oregon State or Oregon fans are going, you're beneath us. I got news for you. Colorado, Colorado State play each other. It's great for the state of Colorado. It's great for fans of both programs. I got news for you. The Apple Cup, it's on. Washington and Washington State, they're going to play each other despite bad feelings. And in fact, despite almost the same dynamic that is happening in our state. So let's not be smaller than those places. You know, we profess to be more advanced, more evolved, more refined, smarter, kinder, more connected to each other. I know there's some bad feelings, but um, I don't want to blame the players. I don't want to blame the coaches. I want to penalize the fans. Oregon and Oregon State should play that damn game. should be played every year. We'll not be surprised if that's announced in short order. All right. I want you to have a great night. Start getting that turkey ready. If you're gonna brine it, you're gonna smoke it. I need to know what your recipe is. You can tweet at me at John Canzano BFT. You can follow me on Instagram at John Canzano. Hell, I'm even on TikTok at John Canzano. or find me at johnconsalvo.com if you want to read me. We're back tomorrow. Dan Lanning on the show, Oregon football coach, and as I say every day, Bald Face Truth is not here for a long time. Just a good time.